Welcome to the Best Picture Cast. I'm your host, Kieran B. I recently completed my goal of watching every Oscar Best Picture winner ever and decided to start a podcast to review each one. Each episode, myself and revolving co-hosts will discuss, assess, and evaluate a different Best Picture winner with the goal to establish a ranking for the entire list. This is not a who should have won podcast. We are here to discuss the inner circle of movies who took home the crown in their respective years. As a disclaimer, this is an opinion-based podcast and a subjective discussion by movie enthusiasts who don't claim to be trained experts. If we destroy your favorite movie or praise a movie you think is trash, we encourage you to write us in at our email. Our email is bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. That's bestpicturepodcast at yahoo.com. And you can get us on any of our socials, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Best Picture Cast. We're always ready to respond if you're going to come at us. Positive or negative, we love to hear from you. And we are here on what is our one-year anniversary episode. One year ago to the release date of this episode, we had a two-episode release week with our pilot episode, The Departed, and episode two, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And here to celebrate today, I have both the hosts from that to join us. I'm going to introduce them momentarily. And before I do that, I just want to remind you we're one year in and uh, we thank anyone who supported us or listened to any episodes in whatever length or whatever amount over over the last year. But you can help us out a lot by subscribing uh, on whatever platform you listen to this podcast on or by rating or writing a review. So all that helps. It helps our visibility. It helps our searchability. One year later, we're here. And as I said, I got episode one and episode two hosts with me here today. And uh, episode one host was Artie B for The Departed. Artie B, how are we doing today? Doing well. How are you? One year later, here we are. <laughs> one year later. Wow. That Incre- is unbelievable. Incredible. And uh, the episode two co-host was... Joey R. for One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. And Joey, welcome back. Thank you. Yeah, it's crazy. Going from the iconic One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest to here today, a year later, is pretty great, actually. Yeah, it's, it is pretty crazy to think about the year and what a wacky year it was. But it was a, a great year for BPC, and it was a year of growth for us. And, you know, we didn't come into this pros at this by any means. Was just, this was a, a learning platform for all of us. And I think that We've all grown in our in our own certain ways, and uh, it's been a lot of fun. Whether it was step one or step whatever we're at now, it's been, <laughs> it's been good. Joe, you mentioned the uh, iconic one flow of cuckoo's nest. That was because we had a little debate in our cavalcade episode whether one flew over the cuckoo's nest is actually iconic or is just iconic because we talk about it a lot. And we put a little poll out on Twitter, and it was a pretty much a two to one vote. It was about sixty six percent said that they did consider it iconic. So 32%'s wrong. That's fine. <laughs> That's right. Can't now, trust wanna... Twitter 100% of the time. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I want to start with you, Artie. One year later, you know, we recorded that Departed episode as a pilot. We didn't know, really know what we were doing. We just kind of hit record and, and went. And to this day, it's our most listened to episode, for better or for worse. I still love that episode. I think it's, uh, it's, it's fun. It was a fun movie to do first. And uh, what, looking back on that, what are you... <laughs> What are your thoughts one year later? Well, I haven't learned anything in this past year. (laughs) Here we are. Um, That episode was a hell of a time to record. We really had no idea what we were doing. Our game plan was just crush brewskis and try to get through the movie The Departed with the feelings we had discussed for years prior. 
And that's what we did, and it worked. And, you know, it has the advantage of being out for a year to have the most listens, but uh, it definitely is a good episode, all things considered. Yeah, it was one of, one we recorded uh, Octo- October of 2019, actually, and it sat in the can there for a while because, you know, I really didn't, the editing process, I didn't really get keen <laughs> to it, or even the, the whole getting the platform up till, till several months later. And uh, we were going to have the episode three host, uh, Chris G, here today. He ended up not being able to make it. He's here in spirit, for sure. And uh, he, these three episodes, I kind of wanted you three to be here for that anniversary because they were the three episodes where we just recorded before I had any idea <laughs> how to edit it or, or before anything went live, before we even had, had the platform set up. So, Well, after we recorded The Departed, we had like a month-long conversation trying to get together again for re-recording the last hour of it because we thought it might be incomprehensible. Yeah. <laughs> might be. <laughs> and then yeah. one day it was like, you know, it's not as bad as we thought. I just did some crafty editing and, and released it. It's a yeah. good episode. For the first episode, it's... I agree. I, I think it's really entertaining. It was entertaining and it, it's kind of one of those two, like I had all this stuff planned, like I... I thought maybe a four, because we really weren't working off a format for that, other than we knew we were going to do the awards at the end. So I, tr- I tried to cheat by reading over your shoulder and looking at your notes, but it, uh, <laughs> the Declaration of Independence is easier to read. Yeah, they're, uh, you know, they're in code. Once we hit play, you, know, you kind of took the ball and ran, and then it, it, it worked that way, and it actually worked the best that way because it, it loosened things up and we, uh, we rolled from there. So the next episode we recorded then, Joe, which is probably like a couple months later. In December, like the second week in December we did it. Yeah, so yeah, probably a little more than one month later then. It was, uh, that one was way more organized and way more, <laughs> way more structured. And another episode I'm really proud of. I, I think there's a ton of, ton of great stuff. But looking back a year later, what, what are your thoughts on that one? So I was thinking about, because I knew we were going to talk about this today, I was thinking about how preparing for it, I had all these notes, I had all these things. I was doing all this research on lobotomies. I was doing all, like, I went through a whole diagnosis to diagnose McMurphy. And I remember thinking, like, an hour before you came over to do it, I was like, is any of this necessary? <laughs> I was like, I was like, I-, I hope this is what he wants. Because we had talked about, like, kind of loose, like, we'll talk about the movie, we'll hit these awards, we'll talk. And I was like, okay, good. So then I think we got it going, and we went on a really good run. I think that's a really good episode for having no idea what the hell we were doing. Like, I think that's, I, I had fun doing it, I think. And after, I think we both looked at each other like, that works. Yeah, for sure. And, to, and to, to to this day, it is our second most listened to episode. So episodes three and four, I'll, we'll talk about it. I'll have, we have Chris G and Grant Z will be coming up for our Oliver episode in a, in a few weeks. So I'll talk to them on that podcast a little bit about their thoughts on those episodes. But one thing I like about those first four episodes, and, and we've kind of shifted to the three-person or four-person format at this point, but each of those episodes kind of like embody each of your personalities in a certain way. So they're all like different <laughs> based on that in my mind at least. So – and it was kind of – I think one of the things we said at the start was just let's make it your own, you know. Right. And, and each of those kind of show that. And then watching you guys kind of intertwine those little worlds has been fun over the years too since we moved to the three and, and four-person formats. It just gives us different dynamics and different things, and I think it just keeps things really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. So, Artie, I did want to ask uh, – Throughout the year, what, what were some of your... I asked Joey, I asked you this... Um, right. Cavalcade. On the Cavalcade episode. Artie, what are, what are some of your favorite episodes? What episodes stand out to you in, in this past year? Uh, um, the Gangs of Goodfellas Defense episode stands out to me. A lot of fun. That was very aggressive. <laughs> and that came from the first episode, too. That's, you know... You know, I, I thought that I was just going to record my opinions and 
talk to my friend about a movie, and then a month later, I had to prepare a formal <laughs> defense of my statements for two people who also prepared attacks, you know, went after me. So that was fun. And I think Grant probably stayed up all nights coming up with that uh, with I mean, that I don't think he went too. to work yeah, for was, three weeks yeah, for that he one. Was ready, <laughs> I think before, he was ready for you. I think before he came to that episode, he concluded on paper, he's like, I win. I did it. <laughs> I got him. <laughs> um, that was a lot of fun, though, that episode. I mean, that that's definitely, of of the episodes, it's probably one of the hardest I've laughed you know, that that in the rankings episode, for sure. The Sound of Music episode also stands out. That one really is the first movie I was expecting not to like and was blown away by. And I'm ex- I, that's what this list is kind of... It's got hidden in it. Like, when you do yeah. these 1 through 92, you're going to find a movie you don't expect to like that you love. And it'd be just, Sound of Music's one of my all-time favorite movies now. And I never would have watched it if not for this. Yeah, that's that's crazy, and that is an episode that people bring up to me a lot too. And that was the three of us. Right. Uh, really good episode. You know, if if you don't like sound of music, you might be like, oh god, these guys kidding me. You know, but because we did uh, we did show a lot of appreciation. There's a lot of high fives. If you don't like yeah. sound of music, you're wrong. <laughs> Right. No, if you don't like The Sound of Music, you haven't watched it since your grandma made you watch it a thousand times when you were eight. You suffer from, as Kieran B. calls it, I've seen that syndrome. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, when was the last time you really saw it? Watch it as an adult with an open mind. Yeah. If you like film, watch it like it's a, they tried to make a film. Try not to appreciate it. Try. That's a challenge right there. It is a great episode, though. And I brought that up on the Cavalcade episode, too. For me, I think looking back a, a, a year later... Two episodes that stand out to me for kind of equal but opposite reasons were the Shawshank Redemption episode and the Lost Weekend episode. There were two movies I care a lot about, two of my favorite movies. One is a movie that everybody's seen, and one is a movie that almost nobody's seen. So to get, it was very important for me to get those episodes right Mm -hmm. and to really kind of get across why I care so much about those movies. So to do it, and they both had their challenges. One, you got to convince them to actually watch it. And B, you got to convince them to maybe look at it in a way that they haven't already adopted by watching it on TNT. In terms of, like what Ari was saying, movies that were a surprise. Lost Weekend, I had never seen before. I watched it when you guys did that episode. And what a movie. I mean, And, and something that I just love about that too is that I think everyone within the BPC team at least has now seen that. And have all been like, wow, that was a movie that... I can't believe I haven't seen to this point. One of our main listeners, Joey B, watches a lot of the movies, even the older ones, before he listens to the episodes. And he watched Lost Weekend and went out of his way to text me and go, that movie was fucking amazing. Yeah. And he probably hasn't watched a movie before 1935 in his life. Right. And now he's it's like, It's also wow, a fantastic episode, though. Like, you guys did such a good job with that episode, getting that across, and Billy Wilder is fucking awesome. Billy Wilder <laughs> is fucking awesome. But, I mean, I think the episode, you know, because I was on the Shawshank Redemption, so I think we did that movie justice. That's my all-time favorite movie. But the Lost Weekend episode, I think, is really one of our top notches. I think it's a movie that people haven't seen, so there's no expectations to it. So it's a little bit harder to sell, and I think you guys nailed it. Yeah, I mean, one of the things with this whole podcast is is you want to try to get people to watch the movie and listen to the podcast. That's kind of the goal, because we don't we don't just talk about it for a half hour and then move on to, you know, to the next one. We, we really kind of, we watch it a couple times. We really... We do live our in due it. diligence. We live in the movie. That's the best way to put it, Joe. We live in the movie for a week. We get ourselves built up to it. Whatever the, whether it's Shawshank week or Gentleman's Agreement week or Going My Way week or you know whatever it happens, Forrest Gump week. Like we right. kind of really sit down and and get into it, and we hope that you know that there's people out there that'll say, hey, you know what? I've never seen Gentleman's Agreement. I'll throw it on. 
a listen to the episode and then, you know, maybe they found a movie that they liked. Maybe that movie found a movie they don't like, you know, so it's it's all about that. And at the end of the day, I think that whether or not you agree with the Oscars or whether they pick the movies that you think they should pick, looking at the best pictures over the course of time is an interesting study in cinema and an interesting feel for what movie making has gone through over the last hundred years. So uh, it's been fun this past year. I can't wait to do the other stuff we got coming up. It's been great. Yeah, and we have a, a very heavy-duty movie here to do today, and that movie's Platoon. This is a movie that we group-watched here for this. Put it on and watched it as a crew, and it's funny. I didn't know how that was going to go, because <laughs> it's like, it, it's. I think we've we've become a well-trained Platoon ourselves, because when the movie ended, none of us talked about it with each other, because we knew we were going to be podcasting. <laughs> Which is so it. hard to do. <laughs> I'm like, wow. Everyone's really like they're really BPC like, trained at this. Point. I wanted to ask Artie and Chris so badly, be like, "What did you think about this?" and "What did you think about that?" I left there not even knowing whether they liked Me it too. or not, which is funny. Me too. So, so Chris G and Artie B was a first watch for both of them. They had never seen it. Myself and Joey have seen it a bunch of times. Uh, Chris G's wife watched it as well. And in case you're out there eagerly anticipating Chris G's opinion on this, he will be back along with Grant Z and the two of us for our rankings episode. At the end of the season, a season is every 15 movies. That's kind of how we break it up. And at the end of the season, we kind of all dissect the movie. So Chris G, I'm sure, will be giving his platoon opinion at that time. And Grant C, who's seen the movie, will be giving his well. And it'll be interesting to see where this movie, along with the other movies that we've covered this season, will fit into those rankings. Artie, as I just said, this was kind of a first watch for you. How was your initial experience here? It's fair that you didn't know what I thought about it after it ended, because I literally went, all right, well, I'm going to get out of here as soon as it ended. <laughs> You're like, I ordered ramen, I'm going to go. <laughs> Everyone kind of split, though. That's kind of how it went. Even, I, the ones who, even when we stayed, we were talking about other things. Right. I liked it the first watch, and then I rewatched it a second time uh, by myself on my phone, actually, which is not the best viewing experience, and I really liked it. So it's uh, it's it's improved. It's gone up and up. it's gone up each each yeah, viewing. And and our first just to give you a little bit about that viewing experience. I mean, Chris G has like basically a movie theater set up. He's got yeah. a big projector screen, surround sound. I mean, it was you know it, it was fun watching together because like a shared movie experience is something that I love so much. And even though we didn't get to talk about it then, it was like the anticipation of getting to talk about it now three days later was really cool but it was it was just fun watching together and reacting together and not reacting to certain things he's like oh shit we should probably talk about this later so it was really i, I really appreciated what sitting and watching with the you know the five of us it was, yeah, it was and it really was, fun and it was in a in a nice safe social distanced environment for anyone out there who's who's getting triggered right now it was fun to get that experience again because yeah, it's I've been a little that. while since you know with with movie theaters kind of yeah. not the way that they were it was kind of good to get that feel, too. Yeah, be- I agree. Because for me, like, the whole thing with the past year, I don't care about going out to a restaurant. I really miss movie theaters. Like, even if I go by myself, I like sitting in a big room with other people watching movies. Like, I really appreciate that. And I miss going to the movies a lot. So that really filled that need that I have have not had. I mean, the last movie I saw in theaters before this was uh, 1917. And the last movie theater experience in Chris's uh, man cave <laughs> wasn't exactly a real movie in the, uh, yes. the room. I, the room. The room. The room. You don't, you don't the appreciate room. the sound or the screen or anything when you're watching that movie. You're just kind of taken aback. Yeah, and I think in some ways that that's 
it's almost better to experience it that way because you really get to feel how bad it is. I would never, <laughs> ever leave the room on by myself in a first viewing. If I didn't know what it was and I just saw it, I'd, I yeah, maybe I would, actually. I don't know. You would. You're, you're compelled to. But the room is – because you guys haven't seen the room before we watched it. The room is something you like. It's a collective watch because you need to like you need to you react to questions. it together, and you need to just look at each other and be like, "What in the fuck was he taking to do uh, that?" Moving to actually a good movie here, Platoon. And guys, on this list of ninety-two, you know, there's a lot of good movies. There's a lot of solid movies. There's a lot of movies I don't really care for, and they all kind of are all over the map. What they mean, what their goals were, what their sure. approach was. I kind of view this one as one of the most important movies on the list this and probably schindler's list i think mm. were probably the two that stick out if we talk about important subject matter goals as far as making the movie and, and what they were intending to do and in many ways probably one of the most challenging projects that was undertaken here it is a movie that for me and we'll talk about this as we go hits on so many levels and nails it on so many levels i think it has the most difficult to watch scene out of any of the 92 movies on this list. Again, I may readjust that when I watch Schindler's List again. So many things to digest here with this movie. I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it. Before we get full force into it here, uh, it is our one-year anniversary, and if you've listened to us before, you know we talk about what we're sipping on before each episode. And we all have the same brand here today. It's been the most consumed brands by BPC co-hosts. So I think <laughs> On it's an fitting. off screen. Yes. <laughs> I think it's fitting that we all went that route today. Joey, since you had this on your first episode, what are you drinking here? Yeah, so just like the first Cuckoo's Nest episode, the Montauk Session IPA, my favorite Montauk, the wonderful green can. I love it very much. I, I had to bring it back for the year anniversary. Yeah, I have their newest brand, the Cold Day India Pale Ale. So it's uh, fitting that we have... That Montauk there from the first episode. I know I have the Montauk here for uh, debuting one on our one-year anniversary. Yeah, so I had that on the American in Paris. It's, you're going to enjoy it. And with no prior planning whatsoever, I have purchased a six-pack of the Montauk Session IPA and the Montauk Cold Day IPA. <laughs> there we go. And I will be alternating between them. Okay, I think it's time. Are we ready? Let's get into it. All right, let's do the deep dive. The year is 1986. The U.S. president is Ronald Reagan in his second term. Ronald Reagan, as you may know, was a Hollywood actor from 1937 to 1965. He has 83 acting credits to his name. Wow. He's got his own little IMDb. Back, to, did, back to the Future does a, just a wonderful job with that. The actor? <laughs> oh, yeah, that's awesome. Where did he find time to prepare to become president doing 83 acting roles? Well, he was done in 65, so yeah. I, I guess he then 100... becomes a governor there in between. Yeah, he became a governor, right? He was super involved with politics during like the end of his piece. He got involved with the, um, the actors' union and whatnot, so he got involved with politics, became a, the governor, and then went from there. I forgot he was like 100, year, he was like 100 years old. Right, it's not like he was 40. Yeah, I mean, and also I think 1980 is where he becomes president. So there is, right. you know, yeah. there's some time in between. Be the World Series, well, it's time for the New York Mets. Yeah! It's time to talk the Mets. I know you're, you're happy about that one there, Artie. Wild boys. Wild boys. In the World Series, as we mentioned, the New York Mets defeated the Boston Red Sox to win their second championship in franchise history. This World Series featured the infamous ball through the legs of Bill Buckner, which lost game six for the Red Sox. The Mets would come from behind again the following night to clinch their game seven victory. This miscue was referenced in the movie's Celtic Pride. 
Rounders and Fever Pitch. It was also the central storyline in an episode of Curb Your Enthusiasm, guest starring the late Bill Buckner as himself. That has one of the all-time Larry David Curb Your Enthusiasm, well, one of the all-time Curb Your Enthusiasm jokes. They stumble upon like a very Hebrew ceremony and they need someone who's a, like a very devout Jewish person to participate. And when they find out it's Bill Buckner, they're like, oh, no, get out of here. We don't want you. <laughs> as, as he's leaving, they're like, don't let the door go between your legs on the way out. <laughs> my, my, so sister, my sister, my mom was in the hospital giving birth to my sister when um, the Buckner game happened. And my uncle went to like see my mom after and he was trying to convince her to name my sister Mookie. Wow, yes. And of course, that falls off the, the bat of, uh, of Mookie Wilson. And uh, the Mets were managed by Davey Johnson. Artie, do you remember who the World Series MVP was? <sighs> Tricky trivia question. Tim Tuffle. Close. It's close. Is another third baseman, Ray Knight, yeah. was the MVP there. I watched their 1986 championship video every day when I was little. That's where really? the wild, wild boys. Wow, boy, this is from the soundtrack. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah, they were a cocaine-fueled oh. locomotive. There's a whole just, book about that team that I've been meaning to get to forever that just I hear stories about ripping up plane seats to do cocaine on the seat. like just, Oh, crushing beers and cigarettes all game long. Wild, wild boys. <laughs> wild yeah, it boys. was. Uh, that was a wild team for sure. And uh, a beloved team in this area, I will tell you. Yeah. Uh, really uh, made a whole, a whole strong generation of Mets fans. Gary Carter was my favorite on that team. And it helped in a decade where the Yankees were weak, so they were the toast of the town. Perfect. The uh, billboard number one for the year 1986 is That's What Friends Are For by Diane Warwick featuring Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, and Sir Elton John. Wow. Really? I would have thought Prince. I thought Prince uh, was up there. No, Prince is not in the mix this year. Oh, yeah. oh. Great movie year. Weird we music year, maybe. That's what friends are for. Yeah, we know the song. Keeps mm. Everything. We, <laughs> every DJ played it at everything we went to. Growing right. Up. Oh yeah. Like all the uh, the dances and graduation yep. parties. And it's like, all right, no one gives a shit. Other top Billboard songs that year include "How Will I Know" by Whitney Houston, "Broken Wings" by Mr. Mister. Addicted to Love by Robert Palmer from one of your favorite movies, Joey Cocktail. Yep. And I mean, just great video. And One Hit Wonder and Oscar Award nominated actor, Party All the Time by Eddie Murphy. Platoon was the Best Picture winner of the year 1986. It was directed by Oliver Stone, original screenplay written by Oliver Stone and inspired by his two tours in Vietnam. Music was by George Del Rue, cinematography by Robert Richardson. The movie was starring Charlie Sheen, Tom Berenger, Willem Dafoe, Keith David, Forrest Whitaker, John C. McGinley, Johnny Depp, Kevin Dillon, and Tony Todd. It was nominated for eight Oscars. It was the winner of four, including Best Picture, Best Director Oliver Stone, Best Sound, and Best Film Editing. The other nominees that it did not win, Best Original Screenplay, Oliver Stone, Best Supporting Actor, Tom Berenger, Best Supporting Actor, Willem Dafoe, and Best Cinematography, Robert Richardson. So, Platoon was a bit of an underdog story that year. Not one that uh, I think they thought was going to be the picture of the year while they were making it. No independent movie, no union attached to it. They thought, what, and I think December release... Yeah, low budget and a, a passion project that he had been trying to get made for 10 years, basically. Dark right. movie to come out on Christmas Eve. Yeah. 
that's it. That's it, I think. And and I think when they went to the premiere, they were scared it was going to bomb and then saw the line going down the block right. and around the block and around the other block. And we're like, wow, people are here to see this. When you watch some of the interviews with the actors, they're going to the premiere, like you're saying, thinking it's going to be nothing. And then they see it, they're like, well, glad we were wrong. Yeah, seriously. And, you know, this is a cast. That's kind of the first thing that sticks out to me. You see the cast, and you're like, wow, what a cast. You know, this is great. They were all pretty much no-name actors, right. a lot of them making their film debuts. The only two actors really in this thing that had any resumes at all were Willem Dafoe and Tom Berenger. Tom Berenger was like kind of the quote-unquote right. star that they brought in. But even Dafoe, for, he, only, he had a few things where he's a you know, kind of weird-looking villain. He wasn't like the guy yet. Yeah, no, he, he said is... himself, he goes, you know, on this cast, you know, I was the grizzled veteran, but I was, <laughs> you know, I was barely a hand myself. You know, I had a few good movies under my belt, but, you know, I looked around, these guys were all green right. you know which is i mean unbelievable what the cast becomes talk about an eye for talent 34 years later what they are and who some of these names are outrageous yeah and you have you know charlie sheen isn't isn't an unknown entity he's the son of martin sheen right. he's the brother of emilio estevez who was somewhat established at that at that point they but, wanted emilio first he was originally yeah. cast charlie got it and this is our one our one Best Picture winner with Charlie Sheen in it. It was our opportunity to talk to Charlie Sheen. I'm sure we'll be doing plenty of that. We also have uh, Johnny Drama, who later on sprouts in, in Entourage. There's Tony Todd, who becomes the Candyman. Of course, Johnny Depp, who yeah, I think he was in Nightmare on Elm Street before this. Yeah, but again, but, super, I mean, he still thought he was a musician at this point. And then there's John C. McGinley, who's really just been in everything since. <laughs> since I mean, this. I love him in Scrubs, but... This I, is your opportunity to talk Scrubs today, Joey. I know you've been trying I mean, I've been, to do this. So. I've been forcing the Scrubs. Well, Scrubs is something I rewatched during the past year for the umpteenth time, and he's... This is really great. And there's a Scrubs podcast that has him on sometimes. And he talks about filming this all the time. And he has really good stories from it. So I think he did um, like five or six Oliver Stone movies. But this seems to be the one he really talks about. He aged very well. He looks the same. He looks great. He's one of two evil Marines from The Rock in this movie. You have yeah. uh, Tony Todd, Candyman also in that. It'll listen to that soft ass shit. <laughs> I think it, I have to start with this opening sequence that they have. And... I think if you're going to get this movie right, the first thing you have to do is to get the audience in the state of mind of forget about the war aspect, what it feels like to be thrown into that jungle. And the little things from the temperatures to the ants to the snakes and lizards to just the, the jungle. The, the There's the one shot of the guy just trying to get through that bush. Right, you know, with just, the machete just swinging it and, and just getting no nowhere. Yeah, and look, nowhere. Just looking at his hands and just being ripped up. And yeah, they build the world very quickly and very strongly. Yeah, they don't have to say a word. Right. I mean, they don't have to say a word. Just just watch them. To me, the intro was a little slow. I know what you mean. They're, they're building up the, the jungle and stuff. But he filmed a lot of this chronologically. Mm-hmm. I think he didn't kind of, I don't know if he had a full idea of what he wanted to do with the opening with the opening. I thought he kind of seemed like he Oliver Stone that is kind of seemed like he was winging it a little with the opening. Hmm. Interesting. Cuz I think he had this so planned out for so many years. I think he knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah, I took I, I that. felt that with most of the movie. Just the intro like there's a scene where Forrest Whitaker falls and they just it's like a haphazard shot of a guy falling. He actually fell. Yeah. And they kept the shot in. I thought it would have been better without that. Yeah, I mean, there's little decisions like that throughout this movie, too. I think there's little, like, kind of improv moments. And they filmed the whole thing in 54 days, I think. So yeah. it, was, it, it was, and not much of a budget. Right. So they're really kind of using what they can. They borrowed the 
guns from the from from the, uh, the Philippines. Yeah, the Philippine yeah. army because the U.S. Uh, the just U.S. military didn't fund it, <laughs> which is unbelievable. But I, I like that they were really exhausted after being after training for weeks, and they were really ex- struggling to get through. That's why I think it works when you know the. Yeah, they spent two weeks training. Some people say 30 days, but Oliver Stone on Joe Rogan said two weeks. Training under Dale Dye, who is the captain in this movie. He was the military advisor who ran the boot camp on them, and it was not actually military training. It was just designed to deprive them of sleep and make them miserable. And teach them how to look like they knew what they were doing. And they started filming the day after boot camp ended. So they were all exhausted. They... And bonded. Sick of it. They bonded. And you feel all that. It's just, I just thought, you know, in my opinion, watching the opening scene, it was a little lackluster, a little actionless. Yeah, and if you want to get a feel for what these guys went through and everything, there's a great documentary on the filming of this movie. It's called The Brothers in Arms. Brothers in Arms. At at least at the date of of this release, it's available on IMDb TV through Amazon Prime. It it really, they they interview most of the cast done in 2018. 2018. Yeah, so it's years later, so hearing them reflect that that much. It's really good. And, and Doc, uh, he's like the director of it, and he's interviewed too. Charlie Sheen narrates it. It gets really deep, and these guys have such vivid memories of the experience, which shows what they went through. Yeah, you can tell Johnny Depp to this day hasn't forgiven Oliver Stone yeah. for a lot of what <laughs> he put him through. In regards to the beginning, Artie, I, I would imagine that probably a lot of people share that experience with you with it, because it is a very, it is a slow, trudging start to this thing. I personally, I saw what he was trying to do. I thought it was very deliberate. I think I noticed it more in this viewing than I did when I initially saw it, where I probably made my first view. I probably was just more settling into the movie myself and not really taking it in all that much. But this time I really got a, a feel for it, and I think it was just about getting getting everyone to get a good grasp of what we're dealing with here as far as the geography of it goes. And how and, much it sucks. Yeah, yeah, and the same thing with, you know, those first shots of Charlie Sheen and the newbies getting off the, getting off the plane and seeing the dead bodies immediately. And what is the first line from uh, from Gardner? Like, oh, come on, is that what I think it is? Or like, <laughs> Just really? when they watch the like, body bags. Yeah, like... Watching that them get off the plane and then seeing the guys who are leaving just beating down, their eyes are heavy versus the guys in the new clean outfits with the hat still nice and crisp. You know, one of the guys yells at him, 365 in a wake up. And just really, right away, it's just like, oh no, what did I do? One of the things that I like about this movie, and, and I think where this movie is incredibly effective with, with what it, it does, is... He clearly has a goal here, and he's clearly trying to to make a point. Mm-hmm. But he gets there on a lot of different levels through a lot of different means. It's not one directional with how he tells you the story. And a lot of these movies where it's very clear that their director's making a point, it's Whether... just kind of always in your face. Either there's even Oliver Stone movies that are that way. But in this one... Y- y- you get kind of stuck in the jungle of this movie as you're watching it, whether or not you know what he's trying to do. And that's one of the things I appreciate the most about it. And I, I don't think the themes that he's trying to say are as easy to get a grasp of as they could be. Where did this movie strike you guys as far as how it tackled its themes and, and how its themes were, were put at you? So I think that it does... What I really like about it is that it does not pull punches. It goes, it does not blink, it doesn't turn the camera away from things. It lets you see what it is while also kind of focusing on that these guys were a unit. They were a split unit under the two, 
you know, the Elias and Barnes, which we'll get way more into. Watching them come together, watching them form these bonds, all this was going in, but it also felt insulated and small while also big and huge. It's a war while also being very focused on these 33-some-odd guys. Yeah, Artie, I know you sometimes have, or you can have issues with movies that have a forceful message. How did this movie's forceful message come across to you? All Overall, this movie does a great job of making you feel like you are in it. Like you are on the ground. There's not shots from up above looking down. It's on the ground, in the bushes. It's messy at first. You know, as the movie goes on, the shots get a little crisper through the, the jungle where you can see a little more. But overall, it's just a giant... You're in a mess. You feel like you're in a mess. And the, the storytelling, um, the characters, the aspect of the characters and their humanity, and the, the whole duality of uh, there's a guy who's reality, and then there's the way reality ought to be, which is Elias and Barnes. The way that he tells that message overpowers the political message, I think, that he's trying to get through in the overall telling of the story. I think that you get a little lost in the characters and a little lost in the jungle, and it's not as heavy-handed as other Oliver Stone movies. Yeah, that's a really good way to put it, is mm -hmm. overpowering the political message he's trying to make. That's and. And still being able to make the message, you yeah. know, like, so I, I think that's a, that's a really good way to look at it. You know, it's funny how, because I think the Barnes versus Elias dynamics can be, I've kind of looked at it differently every single time I've seen this movie, including my second watch this time. I don't think it's as plain and simple as it appears to be when you first see this and when you first take it in. Artie, you put it as one guy looking at reality and one guy looking at what reality ought to be. Barnes, what Barnes says, says that at the end. He goes, I'm reality. It's like, there's the way it ought to be, and there's reality, and I'm reality. And that's what it is. Like, he gets shit done. He's dealing with the way the world is, and Elias is, quote-unquote, a crusader. It's, and it's his reality. And what's interesting he wants to me... He wants to try to mold reality. Barnes right. is just living with reality. His reality, though. Where yes, it's still and extreme. that's what's interesting to me. Right. Is when you, that's the difference. When you laid it out like that, Artie... I just, in listening to you, took you flip-flopping those two with what with what you meant about it in saying that Elias is dealing with reality mm -hmm. and Barnes is dealing with what he thinks reality ought to right. be because they're both kind of doing that in a way. They both have different perspectives of what realities and what the realities of this war are. And and I think, you know, in the end, when Charlie Sheen kind of says, I'm the, the child of both... They're vying for my soul. Yeah, yeah, the child of both both theories. And I think that, you know, when you talk about what, what something like this war could do to you and do to your mind and do to your body and do to your perspective of life, mm -hmm. he created two very fascinating characters to do so, played by two wonderful actors, Top -notch. reverse cast from what you'd expect. Which is my favorite thing, and I know it was done on purpose, but I've seen this movie probably about ten times at this point, and every single time... When I see them, I always think Barringer's going to be the good guy. And I always think Defoe's going to be the bad guy. And I know it was done on purpose, but it, it gets me every time. I think one of the things Oliver Stone did with this movie, I think you're right, it's not as clear-cut their characters. Right. What he's saying is the maniac is more adaptable to this particular war, whereas the crusader, who even says, nah, we're going to lose this one, right. he yeah. sees that there's no value that they're fighting for in this war. Yeah. They're just in the shit, and... 
and Berenger's character is more, Barnes is more adaptable to that. So in this world, he is like, yes, I'm, my reality idea is working compared to Elias's. That wouldn't have worked. Right. Well, Barnes is kind of almost unable to see past the end of the gun, right? Where with Elias, it's looking at the stars. The stars don't make judgment. They just are. They're not good or bad. Elias is able to see bigger picture stuff. We might lose the war. But at the same time, he's still the guy that realizes what the plan is where, you know, they're going to be flanked. So he brings the guys around and he goes out there. He's no less brave than Barnes. Barnes is the guy who, after the war's over and everybody's like, all right, we can go home. He says, you know what, I'm going to stay. I'll enlist again and again and again because without this, what do I have? It's funny, and what, and what are his last words? Do it. Yeah, do it. Kill me. You know, because he knows do, that do without it, this, do it. But do it meaning right, kill, kill me. me. Where Elias's crew is—they're the ones counting down the days. It's the Elias guys who are oh oh I broke a hundred days. Oh, I only have thirty-five and a wake up. You don't hear Barnes's guys doing that except for before the second to last siege when O'Neill says. Let me get out of here. I don't feel good about this, Bob. In talking about Elias and in talking about Barnes, there's an interesting quote a little later on in the movie where they're they're going over, you know, whether they should kill Barnes or not because, you know, he, he took scene. out Elias and, and they're debating that. Ra says to Charlie Sheen's character, you know, I thought I thought you admired Barnes so much and, you know, and you looked up to him. You told me that. You told me that. And he goes... He goes, well, I was wrong. And he goes, you ain't never been right. And I think that that, I think he's talking to the audience there as far as what your perspective of Barnes versus Elias, Elias is. Because you're, when you first see Barnes, you look at me like, oh, this guy's a badass. You know, here With we go. The scar's been shot seven times. He's unkillable. Yeah, and you probably see, you probably see Defoe in the, in the hut all lacking. <laughs> you're not sure about him. Then you flip flop. Then you don't know. But, and I, I don't think that, that this, that this war specifically is, is so easy. I do want to ask this because this has kind of been a reoccurring reoccurring talk for us here at BPC. These uh, these letters home and the uh, the narration. We'll this go is my to you, question Artie. too, what, Artie. What are uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts here on, the, on this? I hated it. I thought it was terrible. I did not like it. He reads like he's right. He's narrating a letter he's writing to his grandmother. He writes it to his grandmother as if he is Ernest Hemingway. Uh, I'll give you a good example of that. One of the lines that he has in this letter that he's writing to his grandma is, Barnes was at the high, the eye of... They're invading the village. They're walking up to the village after they see the their com- comrade strung up. Right. Barnes was at the eye of our rage, and through him, our Captain Ahab, we would set things right again. He doesn't write like that to his grandma. <laughs> and then he's like, oh, and uh, say hi to mom. It's like, Wait, you're not writing your mom? And then the next letter, he's like, tell mom and dad. Just tell them. Just, just yeah, tell them. It, I mean, it goes, like, it's, it, it's, it, to me, it's just the weakest part of the movie. Yeah. Um, it goes even deeper with that. There's the one that's just a dead-end crew. The ones that no one wanted, you know? This guy from that town. This guy. It's like, Cities nobody ever heard of. Grandma's probably like, oh, okay, yeah, sounds right. like some nice boys. Yeah, you know, I mean, unless his grandma sounds like she must be an absolute badass. Right, she's, she's probably awesome. But I do <laughs> wish it was to a girlfriend or a brother where I think it would have been more effective than your grandmother. I, you know, I just, I don't think that part works. But I do think, you know, when he, you know, the first, like, I know mom and dad don't agree with it, but tell them I love them. To getting to just tell him. Like, I do like because as you see his exasperation. But yes, I do think that there are many points where the letters just don't work. The Sheen family really have the market cornered on narrating Vietnam War movies, huh? Yep. 
That's right. Shot, Martin, in Fil- Ma- shot in the Philippines. Martin uh, with Apocalypse Now, and now Charlie with Platoon. Yeah, what are what are your guys just? I mean, opening a, a giant. <laughs> can of worms here, but what are your guys' thoughts on Apocalypse Now? I think that I feel like we have to bring it up. Uh, yeah, I mean it was so coming up. So I think that Platoon is a better movie. I love Apocalypse Now, though. I think it's less rewatchable, but I think it's very good. I think I think Brando and Sheenan are outrageous, and there's some stuff in there that blows my mind every time I see it. Yeah, I I love Apocalypse Now, but I'm a big cinematography guy, mm-hmm. so there's a lot more to appreciate in that movie as far as awesome shots and lighting and, and for sure mixing it all together. Fact. It's phenomenal. I think there's a documentary this, on that filming, too. There is. It, it got suggested well, after I saw Brothers at Arms, and yeah, like the suggestion go. was... Platoon is more of a Intimate. relatable human story than the, you know, Apocalypse Now is an outlandish, uh, like a crazy story and a crazy scenario in a in Vietnam. But it's not. Yeah, there's some. It's, it's there's not just. Some, uh, it's not about day to day life in Vietnam. It's it not has about some crew. of that. Right. But it's about a, a secret mission. Yeah, there's to, some fantastical elements. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Yeah, which I like. Um, it's a but I also movie. am just. It's, yeah, it's Coppola. I, it's he. Right. he Come on. I think that's why that's not my favorite, like, one of my favorites, is I think it gets a little too fantastical. I don't really love Brando and Hopper's characters in that. No. Uh, I'm more into, like, the, the, the Duval stuff. and, okay. and Duval's uh, very and good. Sheen. In, I love yeah. Sheen in it and, and the Lawrence Fishburne stuff. Fishburne. Like, I, I, oh, love, Fishburne. I love that first half of that movie. When it gets a little wacky, it's just kind of, I feel like I'm watching The Beach. It, get, it, get, <laughs> you know, it gets a little nuts where there's times where I'm like, all right, I gotta, that's where I think the, that it's way less rewatchable because I think you really have to be in the mindset for the back half of that movie. That movie also, the narration gets to be overkill by the end. I want to probe you a little bit on the on the cinematography there since you brought that up, but I do want to put a cap on this, on the narration here. The other thing too with Grandma is like, it, toward the end, he starts giving her like strategic like analysis like right. we, we came down the mountain from that point and then flanked them on the side from this point it's like like grandma's probably like uh-huh yeah uh-huh and honestly the military's gonna read that not get it to grandma and make like, it a diary then and talking about like like the conflict between Barnes and Elias and court-martialing and this and that like that's that's not cool, dude. Like, that's not, like, they don't, like, like soldiers don't do that. Especially like, in a world where they're so kind of, you are team Barnes, you're Elias, you're not going to sit and write in the letter and be like, oh, this is what's going on. We're not talking that's... about inner platoon politics. Right. Like, I, I, I have a, a good number of close friends who are Army Rangers who have served and, and close friends of mine. And, you know, one of the big things I know about them is is that they don't reveal that information to anyone. Nothing. That's brothers in yep. arm stuff. And they don't they're not, That's privileged. They're not putting it on paper it's and It's privileged it information. It's privileged information. And how come no matter how stressed he is throughout the entire movie despite all this trauma and these terrible uh, encounters he has and the village scene and how he loses his mind for a bit. The letter, he's always just calmly writing. It's like the village scene ends and he's like, well, if the villagers had known we were coming, they surely would have ran. (laughs) (laughs) But he slattered his brain like a bunny. Let me gather my thoughts and write a masterpiece to Grandma. That's what helped him focus. Journaling helps trauma. Yeah. Now, I I do want to ask, though, because I do think this movie does require... Some voiceover and some narration, particularly in the final scene. I agree. So I don't think you necessarily need it until then, because I think that they show, at least to me, they show early on that they can do a lot without anybody talking. Mm-hmm. 
I think it's that it's too grandma that hurts. At some point it's needed. This might've been a little overkill to kind of set the stage for it to be there, but I, I agree. It also doesn't help that he's trying to sound exactly like Martin Sheen narrating an Apocalypse Now. It's the same tone, it's the same tempo. It's It sounds like he's trying, it sounds like he's trying to do exactly what Martin Sheen did in Apocalypse Now. The whole somber, quiet voice despite this interesting spot for him because you gotta think you know right out you know right off the bat they're going to compare you to dad right do you go the opposite way and try to do something so different that people or or is that distracting where maybe where it's out of character because you know is that is that on oliver stone then to take a step back and say we're we're hitting a little too close to home here let's yeah i I think that's definitely oliver stone's call i think he probably wanted that he wanted some vibes that apocalypse now had and he's trying to film, you know, he's trying to stay true to what people he knew in Vietnam were. And, you know, he's the level-headed, he's the guy, college-educated guy who wanted to be there. So what would that guy be in this? So he's trying to stay true to that as well. Well, yes, but yeah, his there, father doing the same thing nine years earlier is... And, and there's a transparency to these letters. You know, you can clearly tell in moments that he's going into exposition mode. And oh, yeah. he wants to flex his poetry uh, as a as a filmmaker, which I like, like I like those, like you know, you're making fun of like the the Hemingway part, and like it is goofy that he's sending that to Grandma. Where I mean, I don't think it's impossible to believe that like a soldier might want to like get a little creative linguistically. Maybe his grandma's. I mean, listen, look at a, some of the civil poet. War. Who knows? You know, look, look at the Civil War letters. They're all poetry. It's just right. It is a modern thing that I don't think lands all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is. It's problematic in this. I would agree. Uh, it's it's a little bit distracting. I think it's one of the weaker parts of the movie. Yeah. I but I'm not ready to pull the plug on it completely. I'm, I'm not good ready to with say, it. Let's have no narration. No, at all. I, I think it I, needed it. Yeah, and I and I think that it's particularly the final scene. I agree. It needs that that little just summary of what we just went through. Right. It's also a short movie. This isn't a three hour movie where everything's laid out for you. So some connecting of dots have to be put in. So I do think the narration works there. This. You know, it's an hour and 57 minutes. Like, like help us get there sometimes, and I'm okay with that. The other thing, too, is there's such an authenticity to the platoon and how all of their language is how soldiers talk to each other. Absolutely. That it is kind of, you need to have a little bit, you need to give the audience a break from that and let mm-hmm. them hear some language that's outside of just... That they're used to. If you're not in the military, yeah. this language is a very foreign. Like, this is... You can't just hear, hear asshole and cheese dick the entire movie. Cheese dick making me laugh every <laughs> fucking time. Like, it's such a funny thing to call somebody. Yeah, I don't even get it. Well, I, I think at one point, Chris's wife was like, who's, you know, a, a brilliant psycho- psychologist. He's Way not, smarter than all of us. <laughs> yeah, right. Goes, what's a cheese dick? <laughs> And Chris is like, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have an answer, I'm sure. But it makes me laugh. Like, it's such an insulting It's thing. like a meaningless insult. It, in regards to the cinematography, Artie, you, you kind of, it didn't do a lot for you, it seems like. The, the really good shots were few and far between. And I thought that, it, I really got the vibe that as they were going, they got better. They got the grasp of how they can get good shots. Because the jungle shots in the beginning, I don't like any of them. There really aren't any memorable shots. And then there are some shots in the second and third act in the jungle where the camera's moving through the trees with them and the actors are spaced out and you can see more than one person in a scene. Joey looks like he just looked up what cheese dick means. I did, on Urban Dictionary. Oh, boy. Let's give it to us. Cheese dick, a person who does not wash his penis often and so provides a breeding ground for smegma-loving bacteria, hence the cheese. 
Oh, so that's probably what they all are in Vietnam. Yeah. Cheese dicks. Yeah. Okay. Great. There's that. What was I saying? <laughs> you were saying really smart stuff and I completely derailed us. I just saw you cackling quietly. It is another week here at BPC and another legendary cinematographer. Robert Richardson here, and this is early in his career. It's his first Oscar nomination. He'd go on to work with Stone again in Wall Street, born on the 4th of July, Natural Born Killers in JFK. Wow. He'd work with Marty on Casino, The Aviator, Shutter Island, and Hugo. And he'd work with Quentin Tarantino on Kill Bill 1 and 2, Inglorious Bastards, Django, Hateful Eight, and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So She's an outstanding cinematographer. And in this movie, which was a rush job in the middle of a jungle, he kind of struggles at first and gets better as it goes. And I actually think... I don't want to get too far ahead, but the there are awesome shots by the end of the movie. Awesome shots. But they, they I think this kind of movie kind of grows as it goes from yeah, beginning and it to is, end. It is important to note that it was done, it was filmed in sequence. Yes. And and it that is funny that you say that already is that you can kind of feel that. I feel as that it goes. the whole movie. I feel like get, they get their rhythm going just like he does. He and I do think them. that there is an element of wanting the viewer to get introduced to it as a soldier would too. And there's that whole thing in the beginning about the new guys being thrown into the worst jobs right away. And nobody cares because we haven't done our time. So if we die first, who cares that whole... And there's a weird political structure where like the veterans get to sit back and get the easy jobs where the new guys get thrown right to the the action. Kind of remind me of Toy Story 3 a little bit. You know, where the the new toys, the new toys in in the room, like they come to the daycare and they get thrown in with the toddlers where all the old toys get to, get to play with all the kids that are hugging them and loving them. Um, I had to think that that was kind of a platoon reference in there. But, you know, I think shooting it with no set with these guys who are miserable must be such an experience too. But I think, you know, you come in, you're raw. You've grown into this very wild environment. You said this was his first movie? Cin- so it was his first nomination. It was not his first movie, but it, he's early on. I mean, he does his first movie in 82, a couple of years earlier, and he worked with... Stone the same year on a movie called Salvador. James Woods is the star. He gets his Oscar nom in that. And they wanted him to be in this movie. Oh, really? And he goes, nah, I've been to the jungle with Oliver Stone. I know how that goes. I'll pass. You know? Once is enough. He was the smart one. But, But anyway, in regards to cinematography, I just wonder how much of that, with the movie being filmed in sequence and it coming off that way, how much of that's intentional and how much of it is... Oliver Stone wanting the wanting the viewer to get their bearings as the movie's going on and and as some of those shots open up as you spend more time there and uh, I just, when Gardner dies in the beginning there mm-hmm. after because he was kind of put in a in a big that's a spot. great scene Fantas- yeah oh when awesome when, scene when Elias walks by him he goes well he might be alive if you had time to learn yeah like, that's just- it right I have it right here the the man would be alive if he had a few more days to learn something and that shows the difference between the two of them where they stand on things how they look at things where Barnes is like look at this sack of shit and Elias is like. He'd be alive. He could help us. And Barnes is like, don't send out. Barnes is like, you you guys are rookies. You go out there and, and we'll do, go on ambush duty. And Elias is like, they don't know what they're doing. You know they're going to see something. Shouldn't we send someone who knows what they're doing? <laughs> yeah. Right. Then sure enough, they do. And, and, uh, and then you have, you have these two. 
I mean, let's let's be honest here. Barnes and Elias are both just GI Joe superstars out there. I mean, oh, they're yeah. both just they're they're they're, not, they're they're not getting stopped by anyone but each other. Out there. Right. Elias reminded me of Daniel Day Lewis and Last of the Mohicans, like, <laughs> going in and out. Like of the, Mel, right. Mel Gibson in the Patriot. Yep. Like, I was thinking the Mel everything's the on Patriot. the main road, and he's running through the woods like a flash, just shooting people. But just and nothing and, on him. And then just you have super soldiers been there for oh, years. Yeah. And then Barnes shot seven times. We know Elias has been there for three. The guys, what is what is Red say? The guy's been here three years, thinks he's a god. Thinks he's Jesus Christ. Yeah, and yeah, then yeah. three years later, Defoe plays Jesus Christ in Passion of the Christ or whatever. Yeah, right, right. And then, yeah, so you have these two guys, and then you have the sad sack lieutenant in the middle <laughs> supposed Ooh, to be giving, Wolf, he's god. supposed to be giving these instructions. He uh, looks like he just got out uh, of Shamanade. Uh, uh, you know, you know, Sergeant, maybe I should give the orders in front of me. Yeah, okay, sir. Oh, great scene. I love <laughs> yes, that. Yes, sir. He, he leans forward, leans Blow forward, smoke close, close, close one goes, yes, sir. Love that. Tom Berenger is so menacing and so awesome in this movie. I just, I, I, I love this performance. I, I can see, I'm sure there may be problems here or there, but I, I, to me, I love this performance. I agree. So Berenger and Defoe are based on real people. Defoe is based on an actual Apache, uh, someone that Oliver Stone served with or served under that was had Apache blood. And he wanted an Apache, but he could someone with Native American blood. He couldn't find any, so he he went with Defoe, who kind of pulled it off. And Berenger is based on someone who had facial scars all over their face and was like a complete maniac. A couple episodes ago, Artie, we were here for the Amadeus episode, and we were kind of talking about some questionable makeup in that one. This was not. This looks real. Honestly, I mean, I mean, it really does. It looks like he has actual facial scars. Yeah, I think what it was is Chris was like, wait, does he actually have scars? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, I didn't know Tom Berenger had hideous scars. It, it, looked, it looked just like the Joker in the Dark Knight when he doesn't have the makeup on. It I mean, was identical. It's And this is only two years after Amadeus with a much lower budget. So it's, I mean, it's it, interesting. It's impressive. And it just makes him so intimidating when he looks at you and it's just... Ooh. All mangled. And you know, he's like guys like John C. McGinley's probably like an inch and a half taller than him, but Berenger is just bigger and just more powerful, and you feel that. And it's and, and it's just such a great job by the characters really playing their role. Because really, John C. McGinley can be a powerful actor. We've seen it time and time again where he really could have, you know, puffed out his chest there, but instead he plays the guy who's now scared and pulling back, where Berenger says, No. Yeah, Berenger's a badass. This time around with this movie, one of the things that kind of struck me is, is that there's so many characters in this movie and they're so well fleshed out that kind of when you watch it one time, you, you almost need to watch it again to 100%. really get a feel for not just the dynamics of everyone, but also like how they die or how they're eliminated or you just all of a sudden like all this shit's going down it's like what happened to johnny depp where'd he go where'd he go you know what a couple you know, of the guys sort of look alike because they, again it's not like they're wearing outfits they're all wearing uniforms so yeah it, it's having them train like actual vietnam soldiers and go through everything they went through was such a smart idea it, it really showed it wasn't as if there were a couple stars there was a couple up-and-comers and then there were a bunch of extras they all kind of felt like they mm -hmm. had their own little piece of value in there. This, I think, is the most realistic war movie I've seen. In terms of feeling, watching the movie, like I'm, like I'm in, like I'm in it, like I'm really in it. I agree. It's not, yeah. it's not a, there's not a Hollywood story going on. It's just shit, and then more shit, and then more shit, and then he leaves because he got injured. Like it's not, <laughs> it's not like a happy ending. Yeah. It's, right. it's but, shit. And I think they. 
it, that's so done by one the training but also how intimate they keep it in this big war in this big country it's not like they're at a it's not like they're at base camp for the entire hour and 57 minutes they are moving constantly every day it's somewhere else back and forth back and forth but we are always with the same group of men so it feels so small and intimate that you give a shit when guys die that nor in a regular movie you don't care when the second guy dies in the third battle right and, and two of my favorite parts about the documentary uh, brothers in arms number one when they were not filming they're all at this you know they're basically hanging out at these local bars and a bunch of them were talented musicians johnny depp was a guitarist he was he wanted to be a musician he wanted right. to be an actor and there was a you know there was a drummer there was a bassist there was a really guitarist there was a vocalist well Corey and there was, was a, a, in a band before he left a band to yeah. do this movie so there was like this local band that played and they could just kind of do bad covers and like the first night they're like, hey, you mind if we play a song? And then the second night they're like, oh, are you going to play a song? By the third night we just took their instruments and they were just playing every night and they just became like the, the awesome. bar band. And like Johnny Drama goes at one point, he goes, he goes you know, I was a pretty good drummer. <laughs> like I, I, I took a lot of pride in my drumming. I wasn't good enough to be in the bands. Like, was He's like, they were a really good band. Yeah, one or the other. They were like really good. Well, Crawford, but, uh, Crawford's character was in like a punk band for years. Yeah. yeah, yeah that's right, he was, right. I think he was like the rhythm guitarist and second singer. Yeah. They well, of, the, um, yeah. Of, uh, the Dumps or something. Well, he was also involved with um, In Living Color. Uh that was Corey Francis. Uh, oh, that was Corey Francis. Was Corey okay, Francis. yeah, yeah, cult of personality. Yep. Yeah. So talk about cult of personality, Barnes yeah, and Elias. Holy shit! The other great part of this of this documentary and hearing it is that as their car because they filmed in sequence, as their characters either died or were removed by helicopter, the actors were sent home. Get your stuff. You're done. You're done. You're done filming. So as the filming went on throughout the days, the social group got smaller and smaller. So now when they had the whole crew of them partying, playing the band, like, ah, oh, shit, Johnny's gone. We lost our lead guitarist. Like, oh, now, now it's a three-piece band. Now there's just, uh, now there's just a guitarist. Now the band's gone. Now it's just John C. McGinley sitting alone at the bar. What a smart way to film a movie. To get them right. to get so close and then pick them off and one by one until you're other. just left. You know, the end yeah. where Charlie Sheen's flying home alone and just crying to himself. Right. Like you said, that, that at, shot of him crying in the helicopter was like, he did that on the passenger plane ride home also. He got, like, Oliver Stone got the most out of everything in this movie. Yeah. Actors, um, yeah, and feel. At a cost. At a cost, for sure. And... An intangible psychological cost. You know, not anything. I mean, you could tell these guys are still... Affected when you watch the, the like Kieran said, the documentary is fantastic. He but, basically thrust him into Viet the Vietnam recreation of the Vietnam War. But he even they even told yeah. one story where they set, separated the guys into two two units. One was led by Lieutenant Wolf. One was led by um, I forget who the other one was, and they were both supposed to take two different routes to get to a house. One crew made it no problem. Of course, Wolf, the in a, even in real life, got them completely lost where they had to pretty much scale a cliff and camp with no food or anything because they got so lost. And that's a thing that happened. These guys were not prepared for an overnight, and they lived this. That was their life. So then the other guys had to come find them. And now, and you know, Lieutenant, the actor who played Lieutenant Wolf was like, well, they gave us the wrong coordinates. That's my story. Like, Haha. Yeah, and then I think someone in the background was like, bullshit! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, Which is how they treat him the whole movie. Uh, they use clips of him in officer training school on how to not be an officer. Right. What about the scene where the lieutenant goes into the crew of 
Barnes when they're playing poker. It, that that's cringeworthy. He he's just like, hey guys, what's going on? Trying to fit in. Hey Rodriguez, nice shrine. He's like, yeah. It's so real though. Yeah, you know, that's yeah. why it's so totally perfect. The guy, he just can't. Just can't fit in. It, can't it, connect. It felt like um, the boss from Office Space just going around like, hey, what's going on? You uh, <laughs> you ready happening? for ambush duty? <laughs> but he wanted to fit in. And then when, when he sits down, they're like, oh, I don't, don't want you guys to rape me. Yeah, yeah what a weird line. Me. Yeah, trying just, to fit in. Right, just trying to be like the Joker with it, like where they would joke about that. No, there's no reaction. He's like, all right, well, I'm going to go. In this world of two very cohesive units, how lonely that must feel. When you're supposed to be the one in charge, and ultimately you're useless. Yeah, man. Mark Moses is the actor, and I really thought he got that character across so perfectly. I wanted to recast him so bad, and I was like, yeah, he's perfect. Yeah, you can't almost, you can't take him out just because he really, so it really encapsulates what that is and what, yeah. <laughs> what that looks like. I, he goes. I think he's in Mad Men, Once. Mad Men and Homeland. So let's let's talk about the the indoor scene here with the the two sides. Basically, you get some you get some real flexing on the needle drop here Oof. with uh, with the song. You get the Jefferson Airplane. Great, just such in. a vibe. Such a vibe. You know, lets you know uh, we're taking taking one pill or the other pill. It's a little spot on these these songs they use a little bit. Uh, whether it's that <laughs> or the Okie from Muskogee, we get a uh, Merle Haggard. Again, in this one, in the country room, uh, our second Merle Haggard appearance in Best Picture when we covered. He's in Crash. Who would have thought that? <laughs> yeah, that's right. He's in Crash with the uh, the big scene with Ryan Phillippe in the uh, in the car. Oh, okay. And with the, hit, the hitchhiker scene, in Crash. Uh, yeah, Merle Haggard for Oki from Muskogee's that, and then they're singing uh, the tracks of my tears by uh, Smokey Robinson in the other room. Great so song. You get a you get a good feel of the differences here between these two, and you certainly get a feel of which. Uh, of which side Oliver Stone prefers. <laughs> it's not, he's, not, he's not real kind to the Bud, Budweiser drinking, Jack Daniels drinking Indy 500 fans in the, in the other room. That's probably how it was. Yeah, I mean, he has, has said, I think he commented and said that he found that the, he found that the pot smokers were more able to adjust right. than, the, than the, the alcohol drinkers. Hence the whole... Scene with the Jack Daniels bottle and the you guys are smoking and you know it's gonna mess up your brain. You know, and he's just the uh, opium might have been just a step like, oh too God, far. Like, yeah, the opium will mess up your brain. <laughs> my neck doesn't hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I think those scenes are so dynamic, and I'm so happy that they both weren't done in barracks the same way. That Elias's crew had this little like underground headquarters with the lights and the hammocks. Ra has that throne of himself and for himself in the middle like it, it just has feels much different where Barnes's guys would just be in the barracks where some guys are you know on the outside of it but they're still there because they're not going to join the other side it kind of gives us a little injection of fun yeah. in this movie that really needs it like we need a little moment of levity to just kind of see them being themselves singing hanging out just dancing having fun even, even in the, the other room just a guy like praying or the guys drinking Budweiser's talking about uh, talking about the Indy 500 or well, or, or they are the I like pussy yeah <laughs> Piece of pussy. <laughs> <laughs> nice alliteration there. Albert. You popped the peas, bro. Yeah, nailed it. But um, your junior kind of making fun of him. It's just nice to kind of just get away from the jungle for right. a scene. And 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 it shows their personality outside of always that tension when you're marching, when you're setting up. You know, you're in fight or flight mode, right? So you're, you're tense. The adrenaline's going. They're letting them let down. And even their moments of fun are dark. Like. 
Kevin Dillon's character, uh, Johnny Drama's character, is is crushed. Why is he opening the beer with like a huge knife? It's a can of beer. You just go, <laughs> you go, you go he's like carving the lid open like an animal. Like then he bites it. Then, then he bites it, it and, and gives it to the lieutenant. And the lieutenant's like, oh thanks, I'll send this home. But Kevin Dillon's getting, he's crushing Budweiser's, going, they're over there smoking that shit. It makes your brain stupid or something. Right, just like ripping butt. Crushing oh, well. Budweiser's. And just, then he, he's like, it makes you a pacifist. <laughs> it's like, oh, yeah. yeah the, the, Viet, the Vietnamese mess with the grass to yeah. make us... Uh, to, make to, a, to make us pacifists. Oh, but Artie, I, I mean, using an assault rifle as a bong is dark. I don't <laughs> Put your mouth up to this. Yeah. yeah. That is... I, everyone who watches that movie for the first time goes... Oh, where where are we going with this here? What's... Put your mouth. Here's here's a giant pipe for opium. Now put your mouth up to this. I have to ask you about this, Artie, because you're you've been outspoken about this character in the past or this actor in the past. How did you feel about Forrest Whitaker in this movie? <sighs> Big house. You're not a you're not a Forrest Whitaker fan. I'm not a Forrest Whitaker fan. Okay. How did he do in this one? Same as always. Okay. I like just it? feel like I'm watching Forrest Whitaker act. It's Jeremy Renner syndrome and. Forrest Whitaker has it. That's what I get. Uh, yeah, I think it just, I guess it's just a case of of just different opinions, because I love him in this. I, no, think I, he's, think this. I think he's given very little, and I think everything he's given, he delivers with yeah. real believable passion, and I, I like it. I agree yeah. with you. I think that character should have been completely immemorable, but even like his line, like, I gotta be honest, I'm hurting inside, brothers. Like, there's I love things it. where I, I think it. he does a really good job of bringing people together, and when that first, you know, the first ambush when um, Chris gets shot and he's sitting with him trying to calm him down. It's a personal thing for me. Yeah, at this point you just, you yeah. can't, you I can't, see him can't acting, get past I it. I can't get past it. And it's the only, he's he's okay in Panic Room, which is Fincher. That's, that's, that's all I got. Yeah. I haven't yeah. seen Last King of Scotland. I know, I know. I haven't seen that either. But, but like that's I mean, my that's my I, I don't like Jake Gyllenhaal, but I haven't seen Nightcrawler, or Zodiac, or like his best, <laughs> any of his, his, all best his, movies. All of his best movies. Yeah, yeah. I know, I know. You so after th- after our uh, our night of our night of fun, we get New Year's Day, and it's just another movie on our stretch here. I mean, this is New, new Year's. We're on a New Year's three run in here. a row that I've been on that we've talked about New Year's. Incredible. This is quite different. Yeah, this is shit goes uh, left for them. This is not good. We get we get a little taste of the booby traps and the the tunnels. I really love the tunnels, and I really love Defoe uh, Elias going through the tunnels. How cautious he is, and he's, you know, there's that one point where he comes up on the where it's going to be a room, and he rises and he's sitting there. And every time I see him, I'm like, why are you going up that way? It's like, oh, because he has to be prepared if someone's there, and they do a really good job with that. And I yeah. think that's that's a good I, it's scene. very tense. That's a good scene. I'll say if there's maybe one part of this movie that could be darker if if that's necessary i don't know that it is it's maybe the tunnels do you mean lighting wise no i mean content wise okay because i just in speaking to someone who was over there and stories from those those tunnels is they usually have the smaller guys go through those to to get to places and uh one of the things that he quoted is saying as you're crawling through there you never know at any second at any time you could explode Right. And you're in pitch black darkness, and there could be a rat in front of you, there could be a lizard in front of you, there could be a bomb in front of you, right. and you're just crawling and crawling and crawling and hoping that there's light Wild. at the end of the tunnel. Like th- I remember, I, I, something I'll never forget to the day I die. And just, it, just you think about how bizarre this, the conditions of this war were, 
Different world, different um, different war. <laughs> you get the scene with the booby traps and the, the guy lifting the and they they put you know the the information like oh we got maps we got this we got that. Are, are, are these guys not like are they trained in any way? There is a box of maps and valuables right next to a box of explosives, and you don't think hmm, maybe this is a booby trap? Uh, maybe well, they thought it was. That's why they were looking for things. They just didn't think that box. Well, and well, the one guy was saying, "Leave it, leave yeah. it, don't touch it." Leave I know, it. and that and that guy had some brains. Right, they both died. <laughs> well, at least the guy saying, "Don't leave it," he died instantly. The other guy had the fifteen, the armless fifteen seconds, yeah, wobbling around. You have to think that maybe there's this. Oh, I I found something big that's going to be this big break. I found these maps. You know, right. I'm going to get promoted. I'm going to get. You know, I'm going to break now. Yeah, maybe I won't have to go on the next. I had this now. great find. Right. That's but just with the, just the take the map choppers. out of the box. Yeah, but again, you're when you're in it, you want the box. You want to get out of there. You're so, whole, I, you know, I get that, and I'm sure that's something that happened for reals. Yeah. Now we have to talk about probably the. Most, well, I don't know if memorable is the right word, but the, the, the biggest... It's the, emotionally memorable. You don't forget it. It's the biggest scene right. of this movie. It's, it's emotionally memorable. Yeah, it's as heavy as any scene that we'll cover, uh, at least on the Best Picture winners here. And this is the, the storming of the village. And I think that the sequence of this is masterfully crafted. The guys hanging out and chilling in the rooms, smoking, drinking, having fun to basically getting completely annihilated by these booby traps the next day, and they, they show the evils that they're dealing with. Mm-hmm. And now he's going to show the audience the evils within. Right. And that, and it starts right off with the slaughtering of that pig yep. for absolutely no reason whatsoever. Yep. Uh, which which will, pans to a shot of a child sitting there watching yep. right after that. Uh, you know, and then obviously... Letting, you know, it's not subtle. Watching. Brutality in children in one quick shot. Right. I mean, we don't need to go beat for beat here, but you have the the scene with the with the one legged, the one legged uh, handicapped kid. I yeah. want to talk about that scene. Now is the time. So, I don't understand Charlie Sheen losing it in that scene. It seemed like like an out of place reaction. Like it wasn't. You scared. It, Fear hits different. And the booby trap sequence right before that is right. important too. They no, just I left know. that scene. They they're just all left. yeah. They're all they're all it. shook. It's just it's it seems like he was really pushed over the edge pretty quickly. You you have no idea what's under those uh, floorboards. Uh, uh, he got uh, lucky that it was an old woman and a mentally ill man with one leg that very easily could have been people with guns and bombs shooting him in the face. Of course, and but but then he starts going, "Why didn't you listen to me?" You're looking at the guy. You know he's mentally handicapped, right? In but some he's way. freaked out. He's scared. He's past the point of, "Oh, this is what it is." It's that yeah, and the, the rationality has to come back. I think a lot of it too is this character is not in a a very stable place at any point of this movie. He no. thinks he's a rich kid who thinks he's like doing something noble coming over here. He's looking up to one guy, then he's looking up to the other guy. He's he's trying to act tough here, is what it is, is really what it comes down 100%. to. The whole, like, dance. He does, like, the John Wayne dance, yeah, I dance. Like that. I, I, I felt very... But he immediately kind of backs off. When he sees Bunny go worse. Yeah. He's, he's able to gain his humanity back, where I think other guys lose that humanity. Chris is he's able to be like, holy tough. shit. You're going to laugh at me? He's like, don't let him laugh. He's got the other guy egging him on. Don't let him laugh at you. And then, yeah, Bunny gets goes real dark. A lot of bullying... I think this is a lot like high school. <laughs> yeah, I think this guy's scene... like, "Do it, do it, Barnes, do it." When like, yeah, you're you're saying "do it" to like a not like slapping a kid in the locker room. To it's murder, like murder. Like yeah. 
Uh, the, but even with when Red's saying, like, let's get out of here now. Nobody saw anything. Let's just pull back. Because Red, who's kind of a tweener with his reactions at times, he's now trying to be like, hey, we got to get out of here. Because if you do this, this is bad. And then he just murders this kid and then his grandmother. Just violently. Did you see the way his split his I've never seen that happen before. before. Yeah. Like excited uh, uh, and wait, giddy. But... Talk about telling and not showing. Which thing? Yeah, because c- you're sitting there as the audience, like, oh, maybe he's maybe he's all right, maybe he's all right. And he's like, oh, did you see his head split open like a coconut? Or it's like, oh, geez, good. And God. I think in that scene, because I think that's the whole that whole sequence scene is so dark and so tense. Where if you just sh- throw in splattered brains, I think it would pull you out of it. Oh yeah, it, that's we, what don't, I, need yeah. That. we exactly. don't need that. We don't need that. This scene's hard enough. I don't right. need to watch this. Like it's yeah, not I don't hard, need to see it. This isn't. I a, got it. It's not a gore movie. It's right. as graphic as it needs to be. It's right. probably more graphic than it needs to the be. The sound. The sound is vicious. They, they do that throughout the movie. Like when they Forrest really Whitaker goes through the the claymore. Yeah. They don't show it. Yeah. They just show him screaming and it going off. Uh, Matt, well, Clinton's Matt, big on that in his first which, couple of movies. Next, and then next, you get the woman freaking out. So they're interrogating the husband, and then his wife comes up screaming. Thank God, Lerner Johnny Depp is able to narrate and say like you know we're farmers we're you know you're doing this they they make us keep this what do you want very from us? chaotic scene it's with the, so the chaotic. translator and the you're, and you're just you're just trying to get and the your, guys in the background a, yelling it's just oh my god it's really hard to get your Depp bearings is great in this he's in fantastic this, this is where Depp earns his stripes in this movie it's a, this it's is a his great scene. scene yeah oh yeah the, the chaos and then when Barnes just shoots the woman <sighs> I knew this scene was coming we Go back to the fact that we watched this as a group. I knew it was going to be brutal. It was probably 20 times worse than I thought it was going to be as far as watching it again. Really? Uh, Can't imagine it being less brutal I mean, anytime you watch it. Yeah, it's just, it's kind of like it was like that bad turn on a roller coaster you know is coming. And like last time you went on this roller coaster, you got a little bit of a sick stomach. So I, I know it's going to come up. So I'm ready for it this time. And then you hit it in your stomach, it's even sicker than it did the last time. That I mean, I was sitting there pretty jarred and like like welling up in the jaw, if you know what I mean yeah, with that. Oh, it's yeah, like absolutely. almost like salivating in my eyes and my jaw because it's sure. like this is just You're having an emotional absolute, reaction. When he takes the, the girl. The young girl. Yeah, I couldn't handle that. That's it's just it's that's the and it's just I wanted to stand up and yell No yeah. <laughs> Well that's the thing. Leave Brittany alone. <laughs> Uh, when, when and, and screaming and holding the girl after shooting the girl's mother in front of the girl and the father just, whoo, yeah, and all I, all the lieutenant does is is close his eyes, uh, metaphorically. He's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, like, you yeah. know damn well what I'm talking about. He's yeah. like, I don't know what you're talking about. Well, he even says to the I, captain not here. to go ahead. He goes, he told me he was VC. And then and then when when just to jump ahead quick and then we'll come back when. Berenger and the lieutenant are talking to the captain, and Defoe is there. I think Defoe's there. Defoe's there. Um, the ca- the lieutenant says to the captain, he was identified to me as an NVA, and that's what I'm reporting. And then he's like, yeah. okay, Berenger, I need your full report. Right. Because you're the one who told the lieutenant told he was an NVA. Yeah. The, the lieutenant's off the hook because you told him. Yeah. So it shit rolls down yeah, hill. Yeah. That scene builds and builds and builds and builds. And Defoe comes in and saves the day. Like Defoe's a, reaction? Like Hulk Hogan coming down yeah. the aisle just to stop the uh, the nasty beatdown from the heel. And Defoe's reaction is what you hope would be your reaction. <laughs> yeah. And he, yeah. He, the Defoe character wins the crowd. Oh, yeah. Moment. It's just like, oh, my God. I mean, God, the place somebody erupts. Stop. Because they just, like, you don't know how far this movie's I thought he was going to shoot the girl. The first time watching it, I thought he was going to shoot the girl. 
The third time I watched it, I thought they were going to shoot the girl. <laughs> no, that's right. You just don't Seriously. Know. You know, You're like, the third a... time in the last five months I watched this movie, I thought they were going to shoot the girl. And yeah. then throwing a rape, too, at the end. You know, it's like, Which, it, yeah. it, the I scene mean, is... Thank God that was off scene, too. Off screen. That needed yeah. to be, but it was done so well. You know what they were doing. Right, but Chris just screaming while the two girls cried on him. You didn't even need to see the girls and what, you know, just saw the top of their heads. Yeah, I kind of think that you see both sides of Charlie Sheen here in this. He's constantly showing pieces of Barnes and Elias within him you know later in the movie when he's storming with their assault rifle and going oh, like yeah. he's just he's a completely kind of lost character right he seems like a mix of both that's why they're vying he for his goes soul because, back and yeah. forth they both see in him like oh if i just pull this out because when he stops the rate that is that is elias to a t screaming like what's the matter with but you? at the you beginning of the it, village raid he's he's barnes right and acting he, like he, an animal well but barnes would never be that emotional barnes is too controlled barnes would well never that be, was him struggling a, to fight with exactly. the idea of becoming right. a barnes like person and he couldn't do it Having, right and he represents I mean, Sheen represents the the audience the every man that would get plucked out of their life and tossed into this hell exactly and guys like barnes and elias who had been there for three years who know what they're going to see, or at least think they know what they're going to see. <laughs> and that's what this war was. It was, a, it was a draft. It was, okay, like, check your lottery number, or, you, yep, you're going to Vietnam. Good luck. And they just plucked out of town to town and sent over there. Just watch, your, some, here's your number, just, just wait till it concept. comes up. So yeah. now not much acting-wise was demanded of Charlie Sheen before the village scene. Agreed. How do you think he did with that First scene with the ki- with the kid, the the dance dance scene. How do you think he did? I think he did great as a torn, scared, not knowing where he fits in oh, person. Like I think it's real. There were a number of performances in this movie that I otherwise would probably be more critical of. Raz, another one who I think that he has moments that I'm kind of like. Mm. But I think considering what these guys kind of went through to build up to this movie and the filming of this movie, I kind of give them a little bit of a pass on areas where I'd be a little harder. To answer your question more specifically, Artie, I mean, I don't think it's perfect. I definitely don't think it's perfect. I I happen to really like him, so I give him even more of a pass based on that. I don't think I'm giving the actors the pass you give them. Okay. Because I'm going by final product on the screen. I know what they went through. I get it. That's really cool, and it definitely Mm -hmm. helped a lot of these guys. I think this movie has some acting shortcomings. Mm -hmm. And I think Charlie Sheen is one of them. I would imagine that you're probably not alone in the grander scope of this. You know, I'm sure that there's probably a lot of people who watch this and and point and point at him specifically because he has to carry such a large load. I think I mean I think like I think the scene where they're cleaning up the shit, the latrines, I think he just forgot how to act that scene. I think that's his worst. Where he's just when he's talking about like leaving college and stuff, it's just that whole scene's a mess. Kind of King's like great. It, well, King's good. It's Keith King's David's good. very good. He's very good. Uh, I, I, but I actually I, the whole I actually the, really like that scene. To be honest with you, the village scene. I actually think Charlie Sheen works, and I think that's where I think he shines in the movie for me. That's one of the first cinema cinematographically good shots. I think is when they're oh, doing the latrines and, and it's the sun, the sun shot yeah. and the sun, and you see you feel the heat. And them just roasting. What about that scene did you think was a mess? I think Charlie the, Sheen's the, acting. The dialogue, the act, it, the, his emotions don't go with what he's saying. It just seemed like it, they kind of rushed it and threw it in there. Overall, I like him Crawford's in good in that scene. Crawford's good. Overall, I like Charlie Sheen very much in this movie. I think this is the only scene where I would be critical of him. Again, I think that there's a lot of... It's being presented in a way intentionally. And his character in that moment doesn't know what he's getting into. And his whole thing is, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, 
I'm a rich, you know, I'm a rich, in his, right, so many right, words, like, right. I, I come from wealth, and, you know, I volunteered for this. I have white guilt, so I'm coming. And they're looking at him like... You, you know, need money to feel like that way. Have, yeah, like, what? He's like, yeah, I volunteered for this, and this is that. He, he goes, I didn't think only the poor people should be fighting this war. And he goes, ah, you're a crusader. Yeah, I have it. I have the yeah. quote here. This was the one that I kind of pulled out here. Shane starts it off with, why should the poor kids go off to war and the rich kids get away with it? Keith David goes, what we got here is a crusader. And then he gives his... <laughs> His best wire, shit. Oh, that's such a... That, uh, dude, he's... His, Keith David's great in that scene. He creates a whole awesome character this whole movie. Amazing. Amazing awesome. presence. And then he follows it presence. up. Then awesome. he follows it up with the hammer here, which is why I picked this as the quote. You gotta be rich in the first place mm-hmm. to think like that. So and great. that's like that's just like... That's such a loaded line right there. And wherever you're coming from, whatever angle you're coming from, you can learn something from that line. Because it's just... You got to be rich in the first place to think like that. He thought he was going to be saying this noble, like, well, you know, why do the rich people get away with it and the poor people? The... He's like, well, yeah, okay. Yeah, poor people are like, well, we have to go. Right, we don't yeah. have a choice. We don't get to drop yeah. out of college <laughs> yeah. and have mummy and daddy be mad at us. So based on that, I kind of like the awkward acting there. I, I think it fits with that conversation. And it is kind of like this people plucked out from different types. You have to just... You're, California surfer dude. He's. I think he's good. He's, he's good in that scene. Yeah, yeah they, he's they fun. just are kind of all together. They're literally cleaning shit <laughs> and just trying to trying to cross. I just cross don't. I just don't, I, th- I get what you're saying. I just don't think he worked in it. I yeah. think he mm-hmm. missed. Worked, I think he missed something. What? Yeah, that's fair. I just think he missed something in making that more believable. I think to Joey's point, when you put him in a scene with. Keith David like that, it stands out a little more. He doesn't have a lot of one-on-one. Like, he has the one big one with, with Berenger, maybe two big ones with Berenger. He doesn't have a lot of just one-on-one scenes where a lot's at. The one with Elias under the stars is pretty good. But that Defoe steals that scene, too. But this is my that scene is my only complaint with Charlie Sheen. I actually think he's very good otherwise. I think he does a good job of kind of going and being someone trying to f- figure out where they fit in in this... V- way over a complicated system. Yeah, I've been I'm not holding... going to go as far as very good, but I think he works. I I've been holding off with this movie. I've been holding off on bringing this up because uh, I don't I don't want it to be the whole thing about like Artie doesn't like I don't think that's an like unpopular Charlie no. Sheen. I just don't I don't think I, I just think he's a shortcoming in this movie. I don't His think that's an unpopular this is like an un- unpopular opinion. And I, the I, movie's good in spite of it. I mean, especially when you're looking at Tom Berenger and um Defoe, Defoe. who were both nominated. I mean, they're fantastic. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, uh, there's no denying that. I, right. I mean, I the think. lead is third fiddle in this. Yeah. Yeah. Without, without question. It is true. And he is the lead. He's so the it's lead. Not, it's not like there's a really discussion about category fraud or anything no. like that. Like, he's he the lead. He's the lead 100%. and he's third fiddle. He's third yeah. fiddle. And you, nobody can argue that. I, I think the acting in this movie is a, is a bit of a hit, and I don't think Defoe and Berger are any part of that. I think they're both very, very good. To cap off the discussion on this village scene here, and Joey, uh, you, you're going to kind of go into a little bit of the Johnny Drama char- character and the, the, the beatdown. I do kind of want to preface it into the, the treatment of Oliver Stone to these actors is well documented, and I think it had a tremendous effect on this movie and, and the product that this movie became. I can live with him berating Johnny Depp right. over and over again to the <laughs> point where Johnny Depp is, is nauseous to his stomach and is, is dry I'm heaving because that. he doesn't want to be around Oliver Stone anymore. Or he's making uh, Charlie Sheen do 50 cuts of the same scene over and over again with no film in the camera. 
and not telling anybody. Little things like that to just totally fuck with these guys. I'm okay with that. It builds the tension his, of it. His treatment of the villagers here in this is, is not cool. No. It's not cool. And it's dark. I get I get you wanted to you lived this, and this is something you went through as a as a Vietnam War veteran. And you're trying to do the best you can to put it on film to make it come across as to what actually happened. But, you know, these people aren't actors. And What did he do? And w- the, so so you'll, you'll go into the... Yeah. Um, well, why don't you tell the story about the... about the, the Right. So they brought in... They went in through the Philippines and found Vietnamese re- refugees and brought them in to do this. The kid with, you know, one eye and one leg literally was a mentally ill person with one eye and one leg. He didn't Cataracts, understand... Right. right. He did not understand that they were acting. So as Oliver Stone is screaming, get closer as you're hitting, the kid was legitimately scared. He couldn't process what was going on. Bunny and Charlie Sheen literally gave their money for the day to that kid to get his cataract surgery. Because they felt bad. But he tortured this kid. He keeps saying to Johnny Drama, get closer with the butt of the gun. Get closer with the butt of the gun. And he actually hits him and they use the shot of him hitting the kid. Right. But even like the, the little girl. When, well, this is this is where it starts. To I think this is too. where right when he called it, Oliver Stone was like berating it. Like that was real. That girl was scared. Like Johnny Depp, like was like done. Yeah, like, the, the actors were starting to revolt against him. Right. We were like, you need to stop. Like this and this it, got, it got so bad that he was because the girl wasn't giving him the reaction he wanted. That he is physically screaming yeah. at this girl, like in her face, to the point where the local the local Philippine authorities were like, "We're stepping in and taking care right. of this man." And you know what? He's going to disappear. This is a little girl screaming in her face. <laughs> Jesus! Screaming yeah. at, literally, they said, and I think I think the documentary. I think it was Johnny Depp, and well, he's pretty much said like, "Yeah, the authorities said Philippines are a big place. People just disappear. Yeah, sometimes. people disappear around here. Like, yeah, it was like, well, I'm not going to sit and watch this." Right. So. You know, there is a dark, limit. Dark. Yeah. Oh, you feel that. And when yeah, you, you watch do. the movie, you feel like everyone you're watching Everyone's is uncomfortable. Everyone's in this tense. negative right. realm. When they show him shoot, Berenger shoot the wife, and they pan to the cast. And they really shot that woman. The cast. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Oh. Well, you know what? That explains a genuine reaction. <laughs> That's how, that was just a foe. That wasn't a lie. Oh, wow. <laughs> That's wonderful. Method acting. <laughs> um, Dale Dye told a story that when they brought in the... Um, Have we talked about uh, Dale Dye really, really got into... Talk to us a little bit about, about Dale Dye there. Yeah, so, you know, Vietnam veteran, 20 years in the military, retired, and he said in the documentary he saw all these movies that got war wrong. They got what Hollywood thought war was. So he came in to make it real, and he did. And he tells the story that when this scene, when they brought in all the refugees from Vietnam... They're all speaking Vietnamese. That brought him and Oliver Stone back to Vietnam where they both had to remove themselves. Oliver Stone bursted out crying and Dale Dye had to console him, basically, because Oliver Stone started having PTSD, like, flashbacks in the middle of making the scene. One of my favorite uh, Dale Dye stories is I heard him talk uh, probably about a year or so ago just about about the filming. I hadn't seen the documentary at that time, but I, I, I got a kick out of him talking. And it was one of the things that they were doing during training is is that they would sleep in the jungle yeah. and they would actually have two guys be on watch. Like, they'd have to be, be up all night and just stay by the, the gun with blanks. And there was an actual revolution going on during the time. There was the not like a safe... Filming place. got delayed. They had to get it done as quickly right. as possible. So, you know, the, the places they're saying are not necessarily the safest places. And they're letting them know that, hey, you know, if you... If you hear anything in the woods or whatever, you know, just 
fire the gun off a couple times, the blanks will scare the animals away or, or whatever it is. Like, just just be aware and don't fall asleep. And I think they they felt like Charlie Sheen was not necessarily taking it as seriously as he should. So there was a night where Sheen was on on duty and he's out there with the so rough waiting, and he went to a local goat farm and took out all the goats and you know riled them up and released them into the woods. So now Charlie Sheen is sitting there and just hears like this, <laughs> all of this like 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 stampeding coming toward him and just starts firing off the screaming and it's not stopping and it keeps coming at him and then like I think the two or three of them came out of the woods and started oh laughing. Oh my god! At him. Um, yeah, so they really fucked up I mean, these guys. I mean, and Dale Dye when you when you, when you hear him talk, like he is very proud that he brought them to this point of exhaustion and. Insanity. Oh, yeah. He was, he was given a goal and he accomplished yeah. it and he's proud of that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, he crushed it. Platoon, first viewing. I'm watching it and I'm like, all right, I guess this is about like camaraderie and whatnot and what it was really like. Then this village scene happens and I'm just like, oh, God. Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh like, this is like, this is like, it's also Quentin early in the Tarantino movie. third act and we're 40 minutes right. into the movie. Like, yeah. Hey. I mean, uh, listen, uh, Saving Private Ryan hell of a movie I love it you know and it's probably up there with my favorite war movie between this and that but like they don't show Tom Hanks and and Vin Diesel like raping people and, and killing handicapped people like it's just not something you see in that so this this movie really turns it on its head so at this point of the movie now there's really that defined split here between Elias and Barnes half the platoon grandma's finding out that half the platoon <laughs> is going one way giving away military platoon. secrets we talked about this the scene a little bit with the stars with Elias and Charlie Sheen there that scene is the good summation of Elias's character he's the crusader who he fights wars because he thinks he's doing the right thing and he thinks he's on the right side and in this one he he concedes he goes uh, I think we're going to lose this one. You know, we've done a lot of ass kick, and I think it's about time we get our ass kicked. Charlie doesn't add much to this scene. I think he just kind of allows Elias to, to give his character that's Elias's position. Scene. Right. Yeah, that's his scene. And then he, he's looking up, and he's one of the only characters who who looks... It's one of the only shots of the sky. The other shot of the sky is a plane dropping a bomb on everyone's... Yeah. Right. I think that's a good scene because I, I think everything you said, it's just really showing how Elias thinks way differently than what you would think from someone who's been in the military for so long. You would think it's full indoctrination like Barnes where he's able to see bigger picture stuff that's not easy to see when you're in it and in the shit and losing people daily. And that's what Oliver Stone said that the Apache guy that he knew in real life was like. He was, the war was, it wasn't everything. The world was bigger and the war, the war was part of it. Artie, you said something earlier in this podcast that kind of struck me and I didn't really think about until, uh, until you said it. And that's that this movie is a lot of shots from the ground and not a lot of, those drone shots from above. And in a lot of these epics, a lot of war movies, you get a ton of that. All different perspectives. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And to show the grandiose nature right, of the you, war. And in this, you don't even see the enemy. They're just all shadowy, shadowy yeah. things. Right. You don't know what you're shooting at. It's you're, you're, Everything's eye level. All the shots right. are eye level. It's all very intimate. Really, the only time you see the shot 
from the sky is when you're in the helicopter with them looking down at that's it uh yeah at the at, at the, the at the Elias, Elias where getting chased yeah, and, then yeah. leave, and then leaving uh it's very interesting because it's it's that that over panning shot which i always love and i'm always a sucker for sure we've become very used to is particularly in in movies, movies that have come out in the last 20 years with, with, with drones and what they can do with those shots now that this one really gives you a ground point of view and and that scene is a is a perfect example of looking up at the right. sky and, and cinematographically when they do that when they have a lot of tight shots and then show you a big wide shot it literally gives the audience relief it's like all right i can i'm seeing a lot now i don't have to focus so intently yeah, this movie really never care. gives you relief <laughs> no you don't get it you're in it the, the best they'll give you is you could see three people moving <laughs> through the jungle not just one but i think that's why it's yeah. so effective where you're Super in it with effective. them you feel at no point do you get they don't get to rest you don't get to rest yeah and, and the only relief you get in this movie is when the guys are hanging around singing Smokey Robinson. Right. And in and that's right before you see one of the most brutal scenes in the history of <laughs> yeah. movie making. You know, so they give you a little Duality. Breath. It's all yeah. about duality, right? You know what modern actor I saw a lot of in Berenger's performance here is Tom Hardy. I saw a lot of what Tom Hardy does in this Berenger performance. And I have to think that particularly Revenant is one, right. one example. Even uh, Warrior is another one I've yeah. seen recently. A lot of the stoic, grisly. I know what I'm. I know what I'm doing, and you don't. And I don't care to explain it to you. You so, know, like, yeah. and, and and I think I feel like Hardy's drawn a lot from this. From so this character. I'll I'm speaking be, for him, of course. <laughs> when I when we you know he's one of our things is recasting. I really wanted to get Tom Hardy in here because I, I did felt, too. <laughs> so this may come up again in uh, in in recast. Unfortunately, not. I couldn't make it work. <laughs> One interesting aspect of this part of the movie which isn't my favorite part of the movie believe it or not this is kind of what we were watching it's kind of one of those all right let's let's get through this and i'm talking specifically when they're bringing up court martial yeah, yeah. and, and they're they're going that boy the captain is really good in this movie too yeah and you could i think part of it is is how invested he was in this project that he was like he's gonna put a, a better performance out than most of these guys are he actors. committed 100 he Man, trained these guys great. so he's gonna get in it he he trained them to be military he's gonna be an actor he feels real yeah, yeah. the whole time there's and a genuineness I, and i love when he's walking talking on the phone and that the tool's job is to walk around with his backpack <laughs> with the phone and just he turns around he's pacing you have to follow him around and hey easy easy those guys those guys have a thankless job and, yeah. oh, by the way how do they just have wireless phones back then is that a thing or is that connected to a wire that's connected that in, to a oh, they had that in world war ii too I yeah think. i mean so this, satellite is, this is advanced it's is that what it was yeah. dial up phone to a satellite I think a lot Do of you know walkie, this? It's not walkie-talkie technology. I have no idea. Well, okay, we don't know here. Okay, we're speculating. <laughs> but it, I, mean, I know that they had that in from World, World War Two. They had. So then they, why did it take seventy years to get a, a, a wire? A wire because phone? this is the top because, of the military. Here. Right. This is not like Joe Schmo. It's not like, like Michael Douglas talking on the beaches of the Hamptons right, of Wall right, Street. Right. GPS you know, like, GPS was mil used by the military for years before it became a regular thing for us. Right. And you know, would you want in? The 60s to have a phone and then have someone else have to have a gigantic back, back, backpack 10 feet away from you. <laughs> it creates, create a job market, you know. Like, like, yeah, you know what, I'll throw, I'll throw that on, on my back and just walk around with some rich person bitches on the phone. For or a you could bit. wear the backpack, but anyway, let's move on. If you could afford that phone, you're not wearing that backpack. Fair enough. We haven't talked about the score. Yeah, and, and Adagio the score... for strings. Adagio means slow tempo. That is what the music has. The music has a slow, it's not intense like you would think a war would be. It has a, a slow, it's emotional, emotional dramatic tempo, despite all the, the moments of ambush and, and chaos. Yeah, it's... Very contrary to what 
everyone in Vietnam felt. No one in no one of the Vietnam soldiers had in their head playing while they're tra- traversing the jungles. Well, the easy Adagio. Vietnam music are the songs we've heard a million times. Yeah, and, and that's one of the things I liked about this movie yeah, too. Because this is not right, exactly. So this is not your traditional like let's build a score and put the movie. This is done Tarantino style where we're going to take music that's been used in other other mediums and we're going to plug it in where where necessary. And you know, it's not the Zemeckis style, you know, let's blast Fortunate Son over the woods while we're going to right. Vietnam. But, you know, the, the needle drops are a little literal. Like, you know, Okie from Muskoki, you know, we don't smoke marijuana here <laughs> in this room. You know, like, so, I mean, that's the first line of the, of the song. He says in a Skokie, not in this room. But I'm I'm allowed to make fun of redneck music because I'm the only country fan here. You guys have to. Oh, so you're allowed? Yes. This Fine. redneck shit. That's fine. So Adagio for for strings here was actually a suggestion from the film editor Claire Simpson. Oh wow! Uh, who won who won the award for film editing for this? Um, ingenious because I think like this is kind of one of the things when people will hear it they'll be like oh it's the song from Platoon you know it's like this like this famous right. classical music song. Uh, it just and it's used a few times in the movie, which I don't always love, but it works here. It, it works way better with classical music than yeah. it does with with popular music. Oh yeah, but man, they pick the right spots and they pick the right volumes. You know, they when they want to turn the volume up and blast you in the face with it, it counts. Yep. Yeah. And when they want to just because it's almost like they're subtly reminding you that this is coming back. Right. The, and and I think that's a lot of what. What at least I mean I'm sure most wars, but this one for sure, where it's like, it seems like at every moment in this movie they never quite know when the shit's gonna go down. Like it, the shit goes down at any moment. They're but fighting the, in a jungle. They can't see anything. Boom! Here we go. We're in it. But they're like the score. Their their emotions are always there. You know, oh, they're yeah. always in the background waiting. And that that what a bold move of a film editor to just say to the director, I think you should use this score. He probably went listened to it and went. Hey, you're totally right. Yeah, what a yeah. great suggestion. I mean, I, but I, what I, a suggestion because it works. There's It's great. It's perfect. Like it fits and The uh, score the score and the sound editing to me are the best are the best most masterfully done crafts yes. in yeah, this movie. I agree. And and Can't give, argue with that. give Stone credit because the best kind of control freak is the one that knows when to Give it up. Relinquish control, right. you know, and and let other people hop in and give and take suggestions. And he did do that in this movie. Uh, there's really two battle scenes left here to discuss. The, there's kind of like the there's the one basically one in the daylight, one right. in the, the sec- final firefight, the second ambush, and then the final. One. Yeah, yeah. The the second ambush is where most of our cast gets sent home, yeah. gets sent home <laughs> from filming, and. They don't, get to stay the, <laughs> they don't get to stay at the hotel anymore. Yeah, we're, we're losing our lead guitarist in this scene here. Oh. God, you know, experiencing these battle scenes, it's kind of, it, uh, Spielberg did such a great job in Saving Private Ryan of letting you know where everyone was and letting you know when everyone was going to have their moment to shine or moment to, to die. And this movie intentionally does not do that. And I kind of love it. Yeah, I like that. Because it makes it, A, it makes it way more rewatchable outside of the, the big scene in the middle, which is the most unrewatchable <laughs> scene that you can, you can come across. But it, it makes it like you're still trying to figure out where the shit's coming from, who's getting hit, you're in who the survives, shit. And where, who dies. And where did people go? You're like, wait a minute, who, he died? <laughs> yeah, like, like 
They you drop feel like it. flies. That's how it is, though. They, yeah. right. they drop like flies, and you have to carry on. Exactly. You move on, and that's and it just feels that you watch it. You're like, oh my god! I and you never see thing. the enemy. The enemy is just constantly shadowy figures. They do such that a good job you. with that. So good, so good. You the, the one scene you see him, which is a great scene, is when Charlie Sheen wakes up. The first ambush. The first ambush. But it's still they're shadowy. But they're shadowy. But then. You see them for like a second. Merge. The guy looks like a tree. It looks like a still frame. Yeah. But then, like two of them move, and you're like, "Well, he, wa- he like waves them up." Yeah, they make it look like he's waving at them. Yeah, and then he waves them up. And which I would have loved if Charlie Sheen waved back that of himself. <laughs> a much, <laughs> a much shittier movie. He's like, hey, hey, hey. Waves back. like yeah. Hot Shots Part Two, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's an authenticity here that's just. It's real because yeah, they um, literally drop these guys in, abuse people, abuse the village. Yeah. It's real. You're yeah. it's a di- almost a documentary. Already called you called the second ambush. And you you have Forrest Whitaker tripping over the the wire, which is very grisly. Yes. You have Johnny Depp being taken out and and kind of in a daze. To, to please help Tell please my help mother. Me. Yeah, um the rain coming in his mouth and his nose and his eyes. So the scene where Junior too, where Junior gets stabbed with the bayonet, very personal, very intimate mm-hmm. stabbing, yeah, but they don't show you the stabbing, they show you their faces. The reaction. The violence is off screen again. But you get it, you feel it. So, the gore is kind of <clears throat> irrelevant. It's the it's 100%. That doesn't need to be shown. Splitting up those two scenes is where Keith David's going to get his leave. Great scene watching him get on the helicopter. Oh, it's just a real, it's again a little just a, it's very small, but it's a very little moment. It's like somebody's getting like, out of God, here. Someone's getting oh, out of here. Oh, holy shit! Yeah. Someone's going home. You know what? He probably told these actors during the scenes that they were actually getting sent home, and that's probably their genuine reactions because if they're doing everything else real, why wouldn't they do that? Like well, you're he going went home, home the next day. and you're really yeah, and, going and home. He's going home. He, he got saying. on that helicopter. Next day, he went home. He's probably showing genuine excitement in that scene. No, no, it's probably not that specific. And, and the other guys were probably but... like, motherfucker. Like yeah, and now home. who were the last two left there? Other than Sheen, it was... Uh, so the, there's the, the story that McGinley tells at the bar, Joe, if you, if you want to tell that one. So when Doc... So it's McGinley and Doc, and Doc goes to leave, and he says... Doc's McGin- great, by the way. Fantastic. Very small role. Yeah. But, but he crushes great. everything he yeah, does. Yeah, and he said that McGinley, not angry, just sad, and just trying to hold back his emotions, he's just like, well, if you're going to go, just go. Just go. Yeah, the last two guys, like, he's sitting there at the bar, right. drinking a beer. Like, 33 leaving, guys were here. I'm leaving, Now man. it's just, just us. Just, and now, just, go. just go. Just leave. Just watching him try to hold back his emotions. And, I mean, yeah. you, when you watch John C. McGinley, I think you clearly... The guy harnesses his emotions for his acting, and I think that's why he's so effective and probably has more... IMDb credits than most actors. Yeah, he and... has the most unhinged performance in this. He's all over the map. And when I was first watching this time around, I'm like, ooh, this might not be a great performance. Like, the first couple of scenes that he's in, and then as it goes, I'm like, oh, no. This, this is a is great a performance. really, really yeah. good performance. It's like, an excellent performance. He's, he's just, he has moments of great confidence. Other moments are just, like, complete defeat. And then the survival, and it... it, it he really hits everything. I love his presence in this. How far is his nose up Barnes' ass? He must be Pinocchio. Uh, how many times? He said in the first 30 minutes, he brings up a nose in an ass twice. <laughs> I had a note about that. I'm like, we're 29 minutes in. He's brought. The, he said the same thing twice. Him asking Barnes, his to boy, yeah. who as he has the history with, for, for the leave. Just three days. 
Just give me three days, and Barnes is going, nah. We need as many men out nah, there as we can. You're going out there. He is such a suck-up the whole movie, though. Yeah. He constantly lights Barnes' cigarettes. I don't know if you noticed yep. that. Yep. So that was the thing John C. McGinley did, and they made him do it. And the first time when it didn't light, they left it in. Yeah, like, I noticed that you. this time around, too. Because oh, that's yeah. funny. he would, like, brag about doing it, so he couldn't do it. Oh, so they made funny. him keep it, that, like, hesitation where Berenger just looks at him. He has to do it again. Oh, that's good. He also, at the poker table, he's like, what do you think of that guy? And then he gives him his read, which he's th- uh, he is basically projecting what he what assumes you? Barnes' read Yeah, 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 me too, me too. Yeah, 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 I can tell a guy, I can tell a guy. Right and, and that's why the scene where Barnes denies him of the lead. So harsh. I got a bad feeling, man. I'm not making it out of here, yeah. Bob. <laughs> it's it's great. But uh, this, this line, too, just crushed me. Uh, and this is from Keith David, Points at the Jungle... And this is kind of just defines all of the this, this scenes where shit goes down here. Somewhere out there is the beast, and he's hungry tonight. What a what a way to set up your final <laughs> battle scene <laughs> of a fucking war movie like this. You know, the 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 belly of the beast is hungry tonight. This last scene here, I've had a, an interesting relationship with with this scene. To be honest, I, I've had more <laughs> viewings where I kind of just want the movie to be end to be over, and others when I'm all in on it. And it's it's not the easiest thing to watch from a viewer's standpoint. Well, watching Barnes turn. Well, that that aside, I mean, just the just the visual experience. Okay, is just a lot of shit going on, and it's super chaotic. It's exactly what this movie needs, right. and I love the presentation of it. But it's it's not always. It, 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 it's lacking that Saving Private Ryan aspect of like, it's chaos. You know, yeah, yeah. It, oh, it's chaos. Yeah, it's chaos. And we haven't discussed Elias's death yet, and we'll we'll kind of end on that before we do the awards. But uh, but this this final firefight scene, the the nighttime battle, the hopping from hole from hole to hole. It, it, the first bunker scene with Charlie with Charlie Sheen and uh, Francis, they hear the guy coming. They're like, I, "Which who is it? Like, is it our guy? Is it them? Who?" And he's like, "Don't shoot!" And then you know it's an American, and he slides in. He's like, "They've got direct orders. Don't leave the hall." And this guy gets in. He's like, "Get out of the hall! They're coming! They're not stopping!" Like. What a decision to make. Like, I'd be like, fuck it, I'm following the guy running like a maniac. They give it a few more minutes and like, nah, we should go. No, too. it's time to go. Right? Yeah, and then they, eventually it just comes down to like, do you want to survive? Like, that's what happens to O'Neill, McGinley. Right. It's like, I, I want to live through this. I'm not going to live through this. I'm just going to lay under bodies and just wait. You know what, though? But they're coming way. up. They're poking holes in He's got to pull them out. He's got to throw somebody over him so they don't leave him yeah, alone. I mean, oh, no. Point, I, I, I said because, why, I said during this first viewing, I would have done that at the beginning of every fight that there was. <laughs> I just find a body, lay under it, wait till it's over. Like, Hacksaw Ridge does that so well, but he, he really does it well here where yeah. they throw, it, it, where he just pulls the body and they're looking. And it's just his helmet. They let him go. Yes. I'll say this too about about the movie. In the initial scene, show this too. It did. It, I could just tell being in the room with you guys. It got everybody thinking like, "All right, now I'm there, and I don't like this." Like, I, yeah. I, mean, I know Chris was bugging out with the ants. He's like, yeah. "Oh hell no!" He's like, he sees the ants and the mosquitoes crawling on his neck, and he's like, "I'm done. I'm finished here." And I love that that scene was one they had to. The guy kept screwing the lineup. They're covering Charlie Sheen and ants. And the guy, Doc, keeps messing up the line. They're like, retake. Charlie's like, I am going to get <laughs> All I thought of was Chris G. Like, if Chris G was the one covered in ants, he actually would murder me in my sleep if I kept screwing up the line. Is it the red, black, the red hand or the black hand? The black hand or the red hand? They changed the line. Yeah, they just finally were like, you know what, just screw this. Yeah, yeah, just whatever. lied to Oliver Stone that that was the line. 
But that final scene with like the whole nighttime attack. You don't it, know who's who. They don't know who's who at the beginning of the first scene. Who is this running at us? Like yeah, you it, feel it, that it, yeah. the whole time. It's so it's disorienting. You don't which, know what you're looking at. Which I like though. I, I like that feeling of disorientation where it's just like, what is this? What's going on? Yeah. First yeah. view. First view was much more powerful to me. First yeah. view. Jo- uh, Joey, as as far as like the battle scenes go in this. Which one sticks out to you as the one that you that you care about the most? The second ambush, uh, when Elias dies. You see where Elias, he sees what's going on. He's able to see bigger pictures. He's like, they're going to flank us from this side. Give me some guys. Let's go around there. Put- Outflank the flank. Right. Lines the guys up. He's like, I'm going to go in there. I move faster by myself. And just sprinting through the jungle. I think that's just a really great scene. Yeah, him versus Barnes in that one. He's like, Barnes <sighs> wants to just attack, and he's like, work smarter, not harder, you know? Right. Like, and, and he, even uh, Charlie Sheen's like, do you want me to come with you? He's like, I can do it faster by myself. Right. I like, move faster I, alone. I, well, like, it's, I know this is going to work. I don't need your help. Just let me do it. Right. Do There's your a, part so I can do my part. Right. There's a cool part of that scene where now Barnes and Elias have now just decided that the lieutenant is now, we're not even going to do this <laughs> Like he is like he's done. Right. And and even though they're in this this civil war and they're, you know, Ely and Grant in the Civil War, they're they're working together for a hot second. They're like he's like, I just need three guys. He's like, You got your guys, take what you need and go, da 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 and then it splits again. And then there he's like, he's like, You're an asshole. He's like, Yeah, we can't go, yeah. I'm in charge now. Get out there, we're gonna do it. And then and and then, you know, ultimately it leads into That's Elias the Crusader being naive a little bit. Like that's his innocence shining through a little bit. Like you didn't think Barnes was gonna kinda fuck you over a little bit. Well, also the lieutenant in the one scene in this last thing is just getting berated by Barnes because there's bombs dropping chaotically well, he, all yeah, well, over. He's calling them he's like, in the wrong corner. He's like, who are you telling him the bomb? Like, you're doing a terrible job. He deserves to be and berated. the lieutenant has nothing to say. He's just looking at him like, uh, uh, and Barnes I mean, is he's like, oh, forget his own it, and just goes off. That's one of the things that I like about that character, as evil and sinister as he is. There's moments at the, as an audience member, you're like, Where's Barnes? We need Barnes right. here. Like, get, a, totally get him in here to totally. shake this shit up. Like, totally. come on. Because like, he's so the we, one in charge. Good or evil, evil or good, he's in charge. In he's a war that fucked up, you need some fucked right. up entities on that's your that. side. I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, like, no, and that's, that's what Barnes... That's what but, Barnes like, you know, you. when the lieutenant is calling in airstrikes on his own men, you need somebody to punch him in the fucking face and take the micro... Take the uh, phone out of his... Take the phone out of his hands. Because he does not deserve the phone. At that point, it's like, it's not who's right, it's what's right. Like, we need the right coordinates right. being called. We need the right person need... making these calls now because you're dangerous. Yeah. Now, Artie, you called, you called out a, a naivety in Elias's character with not being able to kind of foresee him cutting him down there in the end. I, I replaced I, it with innocence quickly. Oh, 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 okay, yeah. His redeeming innocence, you know. I think that there is that line in the sand that you don't think either guy's right. going to cross. And that's, we are still wearing the same colors. We're both right. sergeants team. for this platoon. And this is where the evil right. of Barnes really is just like, wow, like... I'm not getting court martial. Like, if you court martial me, he's not yeah, thinking like, about jail. He's thinking about I have to bro, leave. Like, so wait, like the let's Joker, slow this scene down. The Joker when, and the Batman didn't even do that right. to each other. Like, <laughs> you need each other to. Right, like, you need that balance. <laughs> the two, the unstoppable force right. and the immovable object need each other. Right. We like, have to slow this scene down. When when Defoe successfully kills the Via Kong and then uh, and comes around full circle and Barnes is there, and Barnes is expecting to see a bad guy and sees Defoe. Defoe smiles genuinely like can you believe it i fucking killed him like he's actually happy he's like i did it 
And he's not expecting Barnes to shoot him, I don't think. And then Barnes just pops him. Brilliantly shot scene. Yeah. Brilliantly acted. The facials. The two cameras they going right there. The look on the eyes. They did it once. Seeing... Seeing his face drop yep. only through the eyes. It's oh, amazing. You incredible. know what the rest of the face looks like just from the eyes. Incredible. And that's the work of a young cinematographer yeah. that's going to go on to film, right. <laughs> you know, Inglorious Bastards and, right. and right. The Aviator and, you know, exactly. just with work with some of the best directors. In, in To my point, I've been bereaving this whole episode <laughs> is he got better as it went on, the cinematography. Like, the second ambush is better than the first, and it's more chaotic. The final battle is, like, a little bit of a mess at first, but... Once... I don't think it's a mess. I think it's purposely uh, yeah, chaotic. I think, right. I think, I think, right, I think right. there's a lot of intention I think, in every I think the part that right. it's dark and the part that you don't know what is because... Here's the thing. If you're in a foxhole, you're going to have no idea who's what. So I think you're in there with it. You're in a foxhole it, with it. It's true. Okay. So now they get on the helicopter trying to get out of there. They think Elias is dead. Barnes tells them Elias is dead. As they're pulling away is when they see Elias running. Sheen's showing up right after they cut Elias down right. is important because he kind of at that point has the evidence. Right. And that Barnes killed him. He thinks because so. And then when he sees his face on the helicopter, that one, it solidifies And even him. just the whole, he's dead. Let's go. Right. Let's go. He's right over there. There's a lot of people like, he's acting shady there. It's, doesn't, it's not right. It's, right. it's, enough, it's enough information. There's a lot of people running around. We got to get out of here. And then we get that, that helicopter scene. Which the helicopter scene, just watching him, you know, tough bastard just running. They're, they're, the helicopter's trying to mow these guys down. And then, I mean, the iconic shot of the movie. Is... I will say visually... That is the shot that I remember the most is the shot looking down at Elias running on the helicopter. Just, yeah. Like, just when I was like, oh, I'm going to watch Platoon for the first time in a lot of years. It's it's that scene. The first thing I thought of was that helicopter. Sitting oh, in that really? helicopter. Oh, wow. really? Yeah, he's sitting in the helicopter running down and, and, and watching, watching them watch him. All of, the, right. all of the VC soldiers running after him, running away. It's like, oh, they got Elias. Like, and the, and I love the lieutenants. Like, we're bringing it. Bring her down. Right. Yeah. Bring her down. Yeah. Like. Because you show there is like he's not an inhumane character, Lieutenant. He's just incompetent, right? You know, like exactly. He, he, he just, has a heart. Doesn't he went brain. to college and he yeah. went to officer training school. He's not a bad guy. He has good intentions. He just doesn't have the experience. And then yeah, the, the classic yeah. scene oh, of uh, I mean, it's uh, the cover. It's the it's the poster. It's based on a piece of art. It's a famous piece of art that he drew inspiration from to get this exact image. Of, is that right? Yeah, I'll pull it up right now. Yeah. I'll Google it. And, and there's definitely um, Christ. Illusions there sure. with him. The first time we see Elias, he's got his the gun over his, his yeah, hands. The, the, the rifle. I'm, I'm doing it. It's not helping Alyssa at all. But the rifle but, over, yeah, so the, the hands the hands stretched. over the rifle. It's in the Jesus Christ, but Jesus Christ, pass. and the uh, and then the last time we see him too is his arms, arms out, arms wide open. Yeah, yeah. so there, there's definitely that there too. But just such a fantastically shot scene, and watching them react, and then that just locks down for Chris that. Barnes did it. You mentioned the scene a little earlier, Joey. The scene where they're talking about killing Barnes. When the Elias crew is there, you know, it's going to be military justice. And, you know, Ra say, like, he's not asking us to fight his battles. That's my quote of the movie. He's not asking us to fight our battles. He's dead. Hopefully, you know, if there's a god in heaven, which I hope there is, he's going to be drunk as a fucking monkey. Smoking left, that shit. Smoking that shit, leaving his pain down here. And they all go back and forth. What are they going to do? And that's when... Barnes, you just see him drinking the Jack Daniels, smoking a cigarette, comes in, he says, I am reality. And this is another example of Oliver Stone taking a step back and letting the actors do it, because they were trying to film this scene, and they're trying to figure out where they want Barnes to enter the room from. And they're like, you're going to come in from this side, and then the cameras will pan to you, you're going to come in from that side. And Berenger comes out and says, no, 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 you don't want to see me. Right. 
you want to hear me, and then you want to wonder how long have I been listening to what you're saying? Like, what do I know? Oh, cool. Genius. Yeah, and, cool. And, and then they are talking, they're literally like, the conversation starts off with, we need to kill him, right. and then it's this, and then they're, they're debating, and then this, and this, and this. And you want to hear a little bit about killing? What do you mean? And, and I think first, like my three first, or four people jumped up in the room we were watching. They're like, oh God, he's there? Like, what do you know was, about killing? My first thought was they don't see him sitting there. He's not even hiding. Well, he's off on the, he's off on the, there's like an outshoot right. protecting the, the place. So that picture of, that image of uh, Defoe with his hands in the air is based on a real image from the Vietnam War. Oh wow, yeah. That um oh, it's incredible. Oliver Stone oh, wow. took inspiration from. It's, no, but that's why that yeah. deliberate right. pose was made at the end. And it's it, honestly I I remember that image before I ever saw the movie. And then Berenger gives his Oscar nominating clinch here, <laughs> you know, like uh, just walking around with a bottle of Jack Daniels and gives a gives gives the monologue that they're going to use in your Oscar clip. Exactly. You know, like that, I mean, that's an all timer. There's six of you. Yeah, just, just kill me. Just looking around, like there's six kill of me. you, and and you get the internal suffering of the character. Right. It's it's release me from this right. hell. Like I, I don't know what to do outside of this. Just yeah. fucking kill me, guys. Yeah, hell is the only place that I'm comfortable. Please right. kill me. It reminded me of Leonardo uh, Matt Matt Damon at the end of The Departed when he's in the elevator with Leo. <laughs> yeah. He's like. Yeah. Just fucking kill me. He's like, I am killing you. Yeah. Right. This is a part of the movie that I think warrants some discussion and interpretation here. We have Barnes standing over Sheen's character. We're jumping to the end, to We're the end of the last fucking people up with fight. a hammer. Yeah, he's, 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 he's killing VC left and right. <laughs> and now he's standing over Sheen. Right. What do you make of that? I mean, his that he goes right to it. He doesn't even hesitate to, you know, because Sheen's trying to get him out of there. Seemingly. What do you make of that scene? What do you make of the decision of that sequence? Because I wrestle with this a little bit. I wrestle with this, including the, what's coming next. With uh, Berenger over Sheen. Yeah. It's awkward. Uh, Sheen's response is very awkward to me. He's kind of just like, puts his two hands up and he's like, no! Like, why Outside is that your reaction? Right. Outside no, of the in general, that you... reaction, though, like that you left in the movie, that one best picture, is a little weird. It's, oh, like, I don't know. Fight back or something, or punch him in the stomach. But aside from that, my it, question is: What is the what is what do you make of the decision to have that sequence in there? What do you think it means? I what just, do you think they're going for? Berenger's trying to get rid of everyone that could possibly court martial him. I just think he's wild at that point. I think he's just going for it. I, I think, kind of agree with you. I think he. I don't think he sees Joe. Taylor. I just think he sees someone else that needs to be killed because he is killing people right him, there. When whenever he gets in that killing mode, though, he goes after someone he has previous beef with. But that's who gets in his way. He's just killing there. When, you know, when he killed Elias, well, he thought he killed Elias, he was calm. He was walking. He was looking for him. That This is, he's killing people with a hammer. He's I've hitting people in the both. face. I've thought both in the past. I kind of, I kind of feel that he's just lost his mind at this point and he's killing everything. And the war has, the war has totally, he's not a human. It's totally anymore. taken him over. Yeah, now he's just killing everything in front of him. I think that, that maybe killing Elias broke him. And that was leading like into the, the monologue with the Jack Daniels, right. he's completely broken, and now he's just, and he is just stomping through complete. I mean, the the the, the captain is just calling. He's just basically just aborting the whole thing. He's like, bomb us, right. bomb including me, bomb us all. It's my call, bomb um, us all. You know, I actually felt that the the second time I watched it, that when he killed Defoe, he really killed himself because. Mm-hmm. When he kills the woman, she's the enemy in his mind. When he's going to kill the child, the line, like, right. 
he's 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 he killing because he thinks they have rice and weapons for the, the enemy, enemy right. yeah. who kills him and who and right. his friends. So it's ra- it's rationalized. This he just was selfish and wanted to protect himself. And it yeah, broke there, him. There's something inside and it broke him that's destroyed. It's the Joker then he's Batman complex. Well, it's like, that, like, you he's know, not drinking the whole movie. He, this is the first we see him drinking. Like he knows that he needs Elias to succeed, just like Joker and Batman. Yeah. I think that's a yeah. perfect kill you. Right. Kill you. And also, Why would I kill you? During, <laughs> during this monologue, he also says, he's like, what do you smoke, you fucking potheads? And then he hits it. Yeah. And he goes, what do you do this to escape reality? Which is what he's trying to do right now, which is why he's crushing alcohol, which we haven't seen him do at all. He doesn't drink. Right, he's always, he's always on the, point. He's ready to kill yeah. the Kong. Now, this leads me to my next question. What do you make of Charlie Sheen's character then killing Barnes? In his mind, you know, him finally kind of choosing his side revenge for Elias, but also... Which side is he choosing there, though? Is my question. He's choosing Elias. Is he? I think by freeing Barnes, he's choosing Elias. Or by killing Barnes, is he choosing Barnes' side? Because he's now becoming what Barnes was. I have a clear answer for this. Okay. Okay. That scene starts with him waking up from laying in the, the shit, and he gets up, and he's walking through a pile of bodies. It's beautiful. And there's a bad guy moving in the background. He picks up a gun. He looks at the bad guy and ignores him. That's not the bad guy. Then he walks to Barnes and goes, listen, this guy's not getting... He, To your point, he more becomes Barnes. Would would Elias have killed Barnes then? I think it shows that he's. I think he know. shows that he's become Barnes. Barnes I more won agree with you. one part of that yeah. battle within him because I don't think Elias would have killed Barnes in that. But even Elias if, definitely would not have. That is, that you. was Charlie Sheen going. This is reality, not what I want it to be. If this guy is going to die, I'm either getting him a medic right now because I'm on his team, or I'm killing him and no one's going to know. I'm going to kill him. I'm yeah, going to do it, it I, myself. I'm, I'm putting him out. And that's what Barnes would have done. Barnes does it earlier in the movie Barnes to would, a guy. Barnes would have done that, yes. And yes. Barnes asks him, you know, he says, do it. Do it. He says, do it. And Barnes wants to be there were times Barnes is, where, Barnes is the most consistent character in a movie, in a fucking... There were times where I watched this movie and I hated that scene. It's just kind of like, it seemed like a little bit like servicing the audience a little bit. Like, Barnes needs to die. Let's kill him. But I, I don't think I was necessarily watching it with the depth that it was intending. Sure. It clearly, I mean, they state at the end, it's just the eternal struggle between Barnes and Elias within within right. Charlie Sheen's character. And I think that that's the moment where the Barnes character kind of wins, wins over a bit. Though there is the talk of rebuilding. Right. There's the talk of rebuilding in that, in that helicopter ride out. Him crying in silence. It's probably a little bit done out of necessity because of the, the noise of the helicopter. But I thought it's a great... Ch- whether it was a choice done out of necessity or, or artistically. But there's a point uh, where... Somebody... We don't need to hear Charlie Sheen whimpering. Right. You know, let's, let's <laughs> do that. Yeah, let's do that in silence. Right. Grandma! <laughs> <laughs> And poor old O'Neal. Oh, you're in charge of the second second spot right now. Boom, ba doom, boom. Oh my god. Game over. Poor fucking O'Neal, man. Just that. All right, we're moving into awards now, gentlemen. And then after the awards, we give our our movie recommendations. I do. I do want to give some credence to the to the final quote here because I, I really 
thought it was a, a beautiful quote. But I, I do want to just say, I love the roll call in the credits of this movie. Like, really fantastic, fantastic. and I never expected like, it. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, in very, it's in so limited numbers of movies. The, the two that I can think of are Predator mm-hmm. and Clue. I know they have like it's, it's like when like the it's like if you see a show on Broadway like the characters right. go one by one and, give and they all line up at the end. Is, it's a talk about a movie that is, that deserves it. Like, I never expected. No like, matter how many times I them. see it, I'm like, that's fucking. It's great. great. I, nope. I totally forgot about it again. Yeah. This latest viewing, and I and I watch it right through the end. I love a movie that makes you watch its credits. Yeah. But so Joey, yeah, give it, give us that final quote here. To so us, obviously, I think now looking back, we did not fight the enemy; we fought ourselves. The enemy was in us. The war is over for me now, but it will always be there the rest of my days, as I'm sure Elias will be, fighting with Barnes for what Rock called possession of my soul. There are times since I felt like a child, born of those two fathers. But be that as it may, those of us who did make it have an obligation to build again, to teach to others what we know, and to try with what's left of our lives to find a goodness and a meaning to this life. We're going to go into awards now. And uh, something do we do every episode. We give our BPC awards out, and we start always <laughs> with MVP, the Most Valuable Player Award for Platoon. I went back and forth, and I ended up going with Sergeant Barnes, Tom Berenger. I thought his performance was fantastic, and I, I wanted to give it to Defoe and Elias, but I ended up going with Berenger. I think in many ways, like... When this movie's remembered, Defoe is the MVP. I think that this launched Defoe. And I heard someone talking about this movie recently, and it was a really, really smart commentary on this movie, is that the the reverse casting for Defoe, not only is it brilliant and not only does it work within Platoon, but it probably launched his career. Oh, absolutely. Because imagine he's just typecast as the villain, and there's he's never dramatically inserted right. into a movie like this. He's just always looked at as like a green goblin type right. of guy that would come villain, later. No matter what. And he goes on to play like the Jesus Christ and the Temptation yeah. of Christ. And then he plays the then he's in the movie Antichrist, which is super dark if you've never seen it, but And he clearly he can it. do both right. sides. Very well. But my MVP here is Tom Berenger. <sighs> Boy, he plays unlikable in such a way. But you side with him sometimes. But you, <laughs> you just find the necessities wow. of his evil within this bizarre hell that these guys are in um from the scars to uh his gait in this movie how he walks how he carries himself it's just it's it's so intimidating it's so it commands the camera it's Mm -hmm. i I, to me he's the most valuable part of this movie in in a in a tight battle with the foe but i'm I'm going with uh, i went back and forth but cool i agree already mvp i went a different route my mvp is dale die he's the military advisor he also plays the captain. He ran the boot camp for the actors prior to filming for the two weeks, right up until some some say thirty days, some say two weeks. And uh, I think he is the most valuable part of this movie. Absolutely fantastic cool. choice. Yeah, smart. I love that. I like that. I love that. I I can't I can't even argue with that. No, I love it. It's very creative. Little side note: He also plays uh, one of the helicopter gunners. They put a mask on him so they can't tell it's him. And he's the first body bag that Charlie Sheen and Gardner see. Wow. He's in the first body bag. Yeah, that's cool. And I think he kind of has an impact on this movie that has not been in place in any of the other movies we've discussed. I just think you have to give a little bit of a shout out to Oliver Stone for putting him in place. Yep. Uh, and understanding that that sort of entity was necessary here. 
but yeah, no, that's a great, great choice for MVP, and it's I love that. Totally agree. LVP, a little tricky here. A little oh, tricky. This is tough. Where is this? Where are we gonna go? Uh, well, Joey, I like always like to let you go last because you're you're kind of like have a memorial LVP award. Whether you nail it or whether you don't, it's always I commit to monumental. It. Artie, I'm gonna have you go first here if that's okay. I've been dreading this moment. <laughs> I've been trying not to hint at anything. I've been doing my best. My LVP is the lead, Charlie Sheen. Okay. I think his acting is very subpar. The only thing he's sort of good at is acting like a psycho when it's called upon. And even then, he's just acting like a psycho. He's not... He's he's very, very limited. Very, very limited. Um, I think a more dynamic actor could have really made this movie into, like, an iconic movie. Hmm. An all-time. I mean, it already is, but like a really, really just next-level movie. I will admit I kind of turn a blind eye to some of his blemishes in this movie as an actor. I'm rooting for him <laughs> at every moment. Like Same. You, decades later, I, I I like him. I've always liked Charlie Sheen. I, I think he's... I do, too. I think he's a he's just a charming character where he goes off the deep end years later, but I, I just, everything he's in, I just, I kind of like him. Value-wise, for me as a viewer, now, listen, someone who has no attachment to him is going to look at that and laugh, so I get that. Yeah, I, I he works for me, and that's that's how I kind of explain it. Yeah. He looks the part. You got to give him that. He looks okay. the part, and, and that's important. No skill in that. That's It's important. No skill you know? in that. Yeah, there's enough people who don't pull it off, who don't commit to. They wanted Emilio Estevez as older brother. I mean, he looks. That this... wouldn't have gone. That wouldn't have gone better. You think no. that would have gone better? I'm not gonna say it would have went better. I guess I'll go next. My LVP here is Grandma. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, her presence. <laughs> her presence in this movie really takes away from a movie that I truly love, and I think it's most perfect. Um, it's, it's like, I get the idea of it and I see what he was trying to do. It's like, I want to mask my expedition dumps and my strategical explanations and my flexing of my personal poetry through a letter to grandma. But like, unless grandma is like Queen Elizabeth the first, none of it really makes sense. So I, I kind of yeah I, uh, oh. I I think I think we set it all from there. It's poor grandma's that's, getting the LVP award. We're, we're wonderful choice. She's that's the right. true MVP. She's the true LVP. <laughs> she is the true LVP. Oh man! Don't have to recast her either. <laughs> Joe, you can recast her as a journalist. The old lady <laughs> from Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> You're like June Squibb. <laughs> She oh. dumps his letters in the ocean at the end of the. <laughs> so my so when I was thinking about LV, I had I had trouble, um, and I so I started thinking about who when they died did I give a shit about the least, and it was Gardner. I know he wasn't there for a long time. Wow. Yeah, but you don't care. I get I it. I could care less. I'm with um, you. I didn't care about his girlfriend. I didn't care that he was like, oh, what is this? Like, I I cared nothing about him, and I think someone more interesting or with like a little charisma, I would have been like. Oh no, this guy died. First line in the movie, first guy to die. Maybe the first Charlie Sheen's friend in the movie and first ally. Like somebody you could be a confidant to. Like all these pieces. Instead, I was like, oh, okay. Well, he, I was kind of, honestly, and then when Barnes is like, oh, look at this piece of shit. I was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of, he kind of has like the, he kind of has like the fatso role from Shawshank. Right, exactly. 
got to shed some blood and create some stakes early. Like, let's get, let's kill a fat guy. Yeah, so I just didn't give a shit. So he's my LVP because if I don't care, because I cared about a lot of these guys dying. So when I just, when, when I'm agreeing with fucking Barnes, it was clearly. First line of the movie, much, too. You yeah. had a great death scene. First line, first death. Yeah. Great death scene. Uh, but how about the pictures of the, the girl and his wallet? There were two different girls. They're not What's the, the same What's the story with person? that? I'm so happy <laughs> you said They're that. not the same person. They're just not the one same is decade. Like, one is so like a chubby girl that. from the 50s and one is like a smoke show from the 70s. Yeah. yeah, I was like... Every time I've seen this movie, I've gone, uh, what? Oh, I, I guess that, that's the same person. And Charlie Sheen's just like, yeah, she seems lovely. Like, <laughs> <laughs> obviously, you're crazy is what he's trying right. to say. I think this is kind of like... The hardest award for any movie we've done here is the honorable mention, the participation award. There's just so many options here. Yeah. For this, I'm trying to think of a movie that we've covered where this was harder for me. You know, it's it's tough because there's so many. This is your first or second movies that we know we have such different relationships with so many of them now. It's impossible. Well, I have five. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll go first. I guess. Since I just said how hard it was for me. I know Grant Z will be very happy with this choice because this is this is an actor he, he likes a lot. It, I'm going with Keith David as King. He's my participation award. That's good. Uh, he's just so damn good yeah, in yeah. this. He's great. Uh, it, it is a movie of supporting character actors, and I kind of think like he steals the show in that. He's a, com- he's a commanding actor in every scene he's in. Yep. And just he's important. so charismatic. Oh, my God. Oh, he, so he creates his facial expressions as he delivers his lines. And, are, and so it cool. needs to be said, like, not everybody gets a very large piece of the pie in this movie. In yep. fact, other than the three leads, really no one does. So to, to make the most of the little area you have to shine, I, I thought he crushed it. So that, that's, that's my, uh, my, uh, my participation award. Keep David. As king. So for my participation award, I actually went with the score. Um, it really worked for me. It it, it it was consistent. It made me feel things. You know, I, I think it really worked. It's a great so, choice. A, yeah. a very interesting choice for them to not go with the traditional exactly orchestral. Like, you know, or like, ju- let's, just let's, read let's, and blasting from yeah, the helicopters yeah, right, while they're have, all drinking beers. And I shit. ain't unfortunate one. Right, yeah, like, let's have and or let's just have the London Symphony Orchestra right. just have their way with platoon. Right, you just know, like, like they just or blasting Wagner. For a non-subtle movie to have a subtle score that works is fantastic. Killer needle drops. Yep. He really, really 100%. killer needle drops. So that that's that's. That's mine. Yeah. Great, great. Love it. Marty. Am I allowed to give two or just one? I have a participation award. All right. So. I like how like Artie likes to go, well, I have a participation award and an honor award. It's like, well, okay. Yeah. I could, you know, well, anyway. In the spirit go of with this one. award as giving out trophies, I guess it technically should be allowed to do that. I'm going to give out, I'm going to give out one, but I'm going to tell you who I struggled with. How about that? <laughs> okay. Fine. So, well, I'll just do it instead of just my, telling us my about participa- it. My participation. <laughs> my participation award goes to the lieutenant. He's good. I really like He's that good, choice. Man. He's good. I really like that choice. And I was nervous that was going to be your LVP. Oh, he was too good. He's good. You're getting sharper with your LVPs. You're getting your. He's good. He's way too Your good. Your scale this week was good. Who do you care about the least when they died? That's, That's good. good. That, is, that is good. Um, I struggled with him and Junior. Junior was good. Junior was a little all over the place. Um, I like Junior. Uh, I remembered I like, his scenes. I remembered him. I cared when he died. How about that, Joey? It's I, like, I like I like Junior when he in this, died. too. 
I kind of cared oppositely when he died. I was like, oh, God, someone's going to get it. Give it to Junior. Come on, you know. <laughs> he's like, he's falling asleep and shit. Like, right. He blames Chris. Like, Yeah, I, I agree, though. I, I kind of like. Hey, you guys picked Barnes as your yeah, MVP. Dude, I'm, I'm uh, Artie, I like how you went, like, heel with the participation yeah, award. It's like not it. always. Uh, I remember always him. He's done. good. He's, he, he plays good. his role. Scene of the movie. Scene of the movie. Who would like to go first? Do we want to go there? Is the best scene the worst scene we've ever seen? This is the tricky part of this one. This is the tricky part of this one. For me, and, it's not. And it's kind of like, it always goes back to like, what is like, what's the scene you like watching the most? Or what is like the best shot scene? Or what is like the most important scene? Like, that's, this is, this is a movie that really tests this category. I feel like we've kind of had like easy, <laughs> easy goes of it yeah. until This here. one's tougher. Um, I'll go. I, I went, for me, from. I went Elias' death, the iconic him running, falling to his knees. That whole thing is my favorite scene because I think, like yeah. we said, that's when Barnes breaks. That's when just everything goes to hell. That's when his men in the, the split, that, that was mine. And I think it's beautiful to that's, watch. Yeah. Oh, I mean. the It's iconic. It's legendary. The helicopter panning to him on his knee. I mean, that is just, it's, it's art. Incredible. Absolutely. Yeah. So that's oh, my favorite can't... scene. Uh, my scene of the movie is. The scene where Charlie Sheen wakes up after the final bombing and then picks up the machine gun and walks through the bodies up until when he kills Tom Berenger. Okay. That that shot. That's my favorite scene in the movie. Cinematographically. uh, And watching the guy crawl the way to the back. That's a cool scene. The guy crawling away. It reminded me of a Quentin Tarantino-esque, Sergio Leone-esque kind of... That's great. Crazy, wow. very memorable scene. Some That's Sergi- what I really. There is some Sergio Leone yeah. in this, and and uh, the other scene that uh, shows some Sergio Leone too is when Sheen's leaving on the helicopter, and they show that pit. Yep, that pit. All with, yep. the bodies. Yep. Holy heaven! Yeah, and just my god. Yeah, there were some Western vibes yep. in yeah, this one. Absolutely. Yep, absolutely. And I really, I really got it after from this point on because yeah. like almost imagine this scene with like the rump. Bum music as he like picks up the machine gun and walks towards the bad guy like an old western. That's cool. I, I, oh. that's, I that's, like that. that's my scene of the movie. Nice. My scene of the movie, and I, I Artie, you kind of teased this a little bit in saying like, is that horrific scene? You know, and I think that it, it is. It's impossible to have. It's not mine. It's not mine to 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 just go to just to say that. But I, I think it's impossible to not recognize it in a category like this and saying that it's one of the most emotionally jarring scenes I've ever seen in a movie. Oh uh, front to end. It's like kinda like when you're like a little kid and you see that scene that scares you, you know, and and then like the you know, like, oh I don't like this like as a six or seven year old. But for an adult. Yeah, it's it's not a horror movie that's trying to do that, but it in many ways it kind of is a horror movie, and so that scene has to be has to be called into the forefront when we're discussing scenes of the movie. But my, if I'm picking my scene in the movie, I don't like the abuse in that scene though. Like I, that kind of like as as highly as I think of this movie, that, the that scenes kind of shit stuff, rubs yeah. me the wrong you way. You want to give credit to it? Yeah, it, right. it rubs me the wrong way a little Agreed. bit. Like you're you're kind of actors. You're kind of stepping out of your bounds of of what's acceptable there. Yeah, but my scene of the movie is the uh, the scene where they're contemplating about killing uh, Barnes and uh, Berenger comes in with the bottle of Jack and gives his monologue and fantastic world class world class very good absolutely awesome can't argue with Artie you didn't give your quote so what Kevin Dillon the only worry you got is dying and if that happens you won't know about it anyway 
Wow, yeah. He has moments. His really character's well written. His character's well written. There's and he insight has, to He this. has some scenes where he does do the right thing acting wise. In the documentary, he talks and he's talking to his Very mom good. at home. And oh, yeah. His character was supposed to be the character raping the girl, too. And his mom said no. And his mom said, You cannot let them do that. Like, and he goes to Stone. He's like, oh, you know, I'm dirty doing this thing with the with the barrel of the gun. Maybe we have another. So they kind of like made it a little more uh, ambiguous as to who the, the main culprit of that scene was. And he said that in the friends and family viewing of the movie, during the gun butt scene, his mom stood up and, and like tried to leave. And he like, he like had to like grab her arm like, mom, please stay. Like, please stay. Like, she's like, I can't watch this. I can't watch this. So no, he does a great job. there needs to be said for doing that thankless role of, of being just this kind of monster. Sociopath. Yeah. And he does it. He, he really is very strong. Yeah, he's very strong. He is. I think he that's is. a great quote from him, too, because it shows, like, where his head's at. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's how he's just fearless. That's, he's in the world. Yep. He's not thinking long term. Time machine recast. Take any actor, any part of their career, plug them into this movie. A lot of options for roles here. A lot of people you could plug into this one. I know I have mine. I, I'm going to go first. Go one. for it. Go first one. Okay. So this one, like on paper, if we just like released it, is going to look a little goofy. But I'm going to preface this by saying that this person was originally cast to be in Forrest Gump. So this person was, was going to be in a Best Picture winner in a Vietnam-style scene. Mm-hmm. I am going to plug out Francis. Corey Glover is Francis. Okay. coming out. I just thought there could be a little more character added to that. Sure. And I'm going to take Dave Chappelle. Oh, I like and that. And I'm going to put him oh, in. Dave Chappelle awesome. was originally supposed to play Bubba in, uh, in Forrest Gump. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Wow. He was originally supposed to play Bubba in Forrest Gump. And you know the scene that made me do it? Is we're getting out of here and we're gonna get high. <laughs> <laughs> and I just come on, is that not Dave Chappelle right yeah, there? Perfectly. Awesome. So there awesome. we go. That's that's my that's my recast. Great job. Um, so I I went with so Gardner. Recast. No matter what, even to my own detriment, I will always recast my LVP. So I wanted someone who, if they died, I would give a shit. Um, so I want Sean Bean. Someone who's that's been a good around one. forever. I love that. Oh, he he's oh. Very talented actor who dies a lot. That's a great recast. Thank you. So, very happy with that one. Someone who... I gave a shit if they were dead. I recast my LVP as well. With Amelia Westavis. I went with Joey's strategy here. and I Okay, so you're recasting Charlie Sheen. I'm recasting Charlie Sheen. I want to make this movie a little bit better. My Time Machine recast is Tom Cruise instead of... Charlie Sheen. And like, I had never heard... I, I didn't even know Born of Fourth of July was Oliver Stone, and I yeah. haven't seen it. The, so the, you, when you said that, I was like... So, do you know the scene when he runs out of the... When Charlie Sheen runs out of the foxhole yeah. with the gun? Yeah. He took that from took Tom line Cruise in yeah. Taps. He took the line from it and, like, the intensity of it. Oh, wow, yeah. really? I didn't know that. So I would recast Tom Cruise basically same year, Top Gun year. I mean, let's be with Charlie With Charlie here. Sheen and if make Tom this movie Cruise a better movie. If Tom Cruise movie, it's a better movie. There's no... Well, I mean, that's, what I'm, that's what I'm doing. Yeah, that's there's what I'm no... Doing. Tom I mean, Cruise running through the jungle would have been a little bit harder. He could trip a lot. Okay, I mean... <laughs> He's way shorter Face than Face value, Tom Cruise, it makes this a better movie. Like, let's be completely honest with you. And he had no problem with getting buried with ants. No. And, <laughs> and let him, he'd be running the platoon by right. the end of it. Is, are you going to get that awkward vulnerability that you get, though? That's kind of needed with this, like, not having an identity. 
and the, the lack of identity that you get with the Sheen character, I don't know. But I don't think that anyone would complain. No. <laughs> I mean, let's put it that way. Like, there might, maybe some of the things that, that Oliver Stone was looking for thematically wouldn't have been there. But Tom Cruise is an actor that I think every year of my life that I get older, I like more. Like, I just think that he's kind of like, if it's even possible to think of that Tom Cruise is underrated, like, I kind of think he might be. I think he is. Too. I think he is. Honestly, if you switch the, those two war movies... And Charlie Sheen's in Top Gun. I think Top Gun is way worse. The platoon is better. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 that's, so I, I, I wanted to go in your van and recast my LVP. I, I had a hard time recasting a, you know, a, a partial supporting actor. Because, like, what role, what, what importance does that? The other option I was thinking was Will Ferrell as the lieutenant. <laughs> <laughs> Just like a, 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 like an incompetent guy. Stop while you're at Arnie, please. Rob Zombie directing a, uh, a Vietnam War movie. Can we have? Uh, can we have it? Yep. Can we have Rob Zombie? I'm, I'm in. Let's totally. Let's see. What we're we in the Rob Zombie trust tree here. We're right. see, we're seeing Forrest Whitaker's legs go flying <laughs> when he runs through. Like we're, we're his seeing, legs are going through someone else's neck. People's heads. The village scene is worse. Oh my oh, god! It's worse. The village scene is the it's most worse. Is rated X. All right, all right. Let's move on. We've already, we've already tapped enough. We've already tapped this enough. So I, I don't Rob Zombie yes. can do it. He yeah, you just watched. We just don't want him to. You just you just watched the most disturbing scene in movie history. Now Rob Zombie's gonna remake it. <laughs> okay, we're moving right along. So this is the part where we do the ratings here. We're one to five, the three parts of the movie, as far as what a best picture winner should represent. Category one, the performances. Section two, how the movie's shot, how it's presented on screen. Section three, the themes, the story, how the themes are delivered. So performances here. One to five. This is an interesting one. Artie performances, one to five. One being not acceptable in any way, shape, or form, and somewhat questionable for a Best Picture winner. Number five being exactly what you would expect out of a movie that would win Best Picture. Performances. I gave it a three. Okay. The lead brings it down for me. The two supporting are awesome. The, uh, the other supporting are, you know, some are good, some are bad. It's kind of hit or miss. The acting isn't the strength of this movie. Overall, the acting, we're going to rate all the Best Picture winners. I can't give it a four or a five. It's a three. Okay. I'm going four. I think that the chemistry between the cast, to have that many people with that much chemistry be able to act and bounce off each other is phenomenal. So I went four. There are weaknesses. It's clearly not perfect. but So mine is going to be a bone of contention, I'm sure. And probably one that will be brought up again in future episodes. I kind of knew how I was going with this coming into these watches. And as I was watching, I, was, I, I, I did second guess it. However, I am going with a five here. And here's how I'm going to explain it. I think that there is more that is called upon here in this movie than line reading. I don't think that Platoon is about making sure you inflect on the right word in the right way. I think these actors were put through hell in order to portray hell. And there was no release or any solace whatsoever during their shots. Like they, like sure. they were had to do scenes over and over and over and over again. But none of them were selected as great. They're all unknowns. They're picked, they're plucked a bunch of unknowns. Some of them remained unknown. Some of them went on to be niche character actors, someone wanted to be stars. And there's something really 
fucking perfect about that to me. And that's why I have this as a five. I, I get the threes. I get the fours. I would even understand less than a three. Because if you're just watching it like you're watching any other movie, I get it. I think there's a little more to this one. So second group here is how the movie's shot, how the movie is presented on film. Joey, we'll have you go first here. I'm going to go four here as well. Um, I like that it starts and bit, starts tiny and chaotic and claustrophobic at times, and it builds into just really big, epic, beautiful shots. Artie? I do have it at a four. Okay. It does start a little chaotic, but there's clearly an artistic vision here, and the guy does a good job of making you feel claustrophobic. And the last shot with uh, that shot with Charlie Sheen walking over the bodies to Behringer is... That bumps it up a full number right there, that one scene. It would have been a three if not for that that really redeeming scene. So same intro as the last one uh, carries right over to this one. I think that when you're making a Vietnam War movie that carries the the weight of what he was trying to portray, I think it, it starts with making the audience feel like they are in it. Like they are the ones that have the ants crawling on them. Like they're the ones that don't know when the attack is coming. And I think that that really starts with the camera work and the sound and how the movie's edited. I just don't know another war movie that I've ever seen that makes me actually feel like not only I'm in in the war, but also makes me feel that I'm fucking grateful that I'm not. And I give this one a five. It's it's different. It's not perfect, but it's its own thing. And I give it a five. The third category would be themes, how they're presented, how they come across. This is, this dialogue gets thrown into this as well. The screenplay. I'll go first and continue on. It's, it's a five for me. Uh, I think the delivery. I understand how it might not land with someone. It lands with me. I think it's more complex than just being a preachy political war movie, which it could have easily have been, mm-hmm. and which a lot of his movies are moving forward. Oh, yeah. I don't love this filmmaker. I really don't. That's the thing. Like, I want to say that. Like, Oliver Stone is not on the list of top directors for me. This movie, however, is... It's pretty damn close to perfect as far as how he executed. And he's getting a 5-5-5 from me. Wow. Kieran with the 5-5-5. Fucking hot shit. So, for uh, for me, I wish we could give a 6 here. Because I think it's so layered and complex. So, I gave a 5 here. Um, I think there's so many pieces. I've watched this movie many times, and I get something new each time from it because I think it really has a lot of go- things going on thematically. So I went five. I wish I could go higher. Wow. All right. Making me feel like a shocky poo. <laughs> <laughs> I am giving it a four. Okay. The acting's pretty much the only thing that holds it back. It's the score is great. The sound editing is phenomenal. I think a one for sound editing. It's it's its own thing. The way you said it is right. It's its own thing. There aren't movies like it, but I do think there are some, you know, acting restrictions that are there. And, and the cinematography is a little, it, 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 he gets it after this. And he gets it by the end of the movie, but he gets it after this. That's it for me. That's, that's, that's it. I'm done. Yeah. Um, so in the 1 to 92 construct here, it's going to, I'm very excited for this rankings episode that's coming up. We have, Dude, a, we have Season 2 is a weird one. Like I think Season 1, and uh, Oz said it great in our Cavalcade episode, where we kind of revisited the rankings. It's kind of like top-heavy, yeah. and then there's the there's the three sections. Like the weak ones, the middle ones, and the front ones. Uh, and I don't necessarily know that Season 2 is too much different, but we're introducing some, some wild cards into the mix, and 
Lost Weekend was one. This is another one. We have The Godfather, which isn't really a wild card. It's more uh, a heavy hitter running through. But 1 to 92, where do you think that platoon is going to end up? I mean, uh, I'll go. I Overall, I think probably between like 25, 30. I really love this movie. I think that's where it would fit in. You know, again, I haven't seen them all, but as just kind of looking at things and how I feel about this movie, I, I think 25, 30. Yeah, I mean, Artie, I started this podcast off by saying when we were done viewing and we didn't really talk about it, like, I wasn't sure how you felt about the movie, and I still don't know how yeah, Chris T right. feels about it. Like, I still right. have not spoken to him about it. Like, we'll, we'll, I will, guess we'll keep we'll a... We'll find out in May! Yeah, we'll keep a, <laughs> we'll seal that, we'll seal that up in the, we'll bring it out for the results show. I was interested in, in this, in recording this episode and seeing how, how it would come out. I tend to think that this is a movie that, that is going to kind of fester a little bit, for better or for worse. Where do you think, just off where you're sitting, where, where it might be? My, my notes, which I'm going to stick with, are I have it bottom to lower third. Well, wow. So like between 50 and 90, like 47 and 92, wow. that area. Anywhere in there. Interesting. Though. Anywhere yeah, in there. That's uh that's interesting. That's where I have it. So, I probably have it closer to closer to like 50 60 right if, now, but I there's a lot of movies I haven't seen that I'm glad you I might to like a 52 Out of, two ranking. Yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this though. Out of like what we've covered I saw it twice. I had two different viewings, so like yeah, I know, no, that's and yeah, no, hey, and hey, listen, Kira, there are no right or wrong Kira, answers here. For yeah. you to bring up that it's going to fester and go one way or another, you're right because it's already festering. Right. It's yeah. already changing. I'm thinking about it. I've been thinking about it since I saw it, so like it didn't leave me. Yeah, and you're right. It could go one way or the other. I don't know which way it can go either. So I'm, I'm saying out. I'm giving a big wide range. Interesting. Okay, so where do you have it ranked, Kieran? Yeah, so this is a this is a, a big one for me. Clearly, I mean, I, I, as I just stated, uh, I confirmed to myself that I think it's the best war movie made. I, I've always held it with with Saving Private Ryan. I love Saving Private Ryan. It, it's it's one of my favorite movies. I'm not trying to take anything away from that, but uh, and I do think that there are authenticities of war shown mm-hmm. within Saving Private Ryan that sure. are unlike anything else on film too. But this takes authenticity to another level. And I, I think it's easily top 25, and it's fighting for that top 10 spot. That's I awesome. ultimately don't wow. think it will get into the top 10. Right. Because I just think it's very crowded up there. It's just, yeah. like, it's just very crowded. But when I look at, and this is going to draw some heat within our community, when I look at a movie like, like Silence of the Lambs, which is a fine movie and very well made. I just don't think it scratches the surface of the importance of like something like Platoon. A movie like Platoon to me is a phenomenon. There's, it's its own thing. It's its own thing, yeah. and I just, and and for That's me, the best way like, to put it. You yeah. really did a great justice with that. It's its own thing. It's heavy without yeah. being obnoxious. But yes, it's not, it's not, not obnoxious. No. It's not. It's very subtle. And he shows the ability to be obnoxious <laughs> very later. <laughs> oh on my god! Career. Yeah, recommends. This is the one. This is where we're, each of us are going. We're going. We're going whatever direction we want to go, and it could be as uh, cl- as close to it or as extreme as it might be. I do want to preface this by saying, like, if you liked Platoon, I highly recommend you watch the documentary Brothers in Arms. Like, absolutely, that's, that's a must watch. Like, that's a fact. It's that's the most obvious recommend. Right. It's, it's ninety not mine because it's, it's just like that's what it's ninety minutes. It's really informative and entertaining, and it's fun. Okay, Joe. Um. So. When I was thinking about recommendations, so we just did Cavalcade. I just did Cavalcade. And at Cavalcade, I gave 
a war movie recommendation. So I didn't want to give two war movie recommendations in a row. And I thought about Charlie Sheen's character, Chris Taylor, being kind of in a place he thought he wanted to be. Getting there and realizing, holy shit, maybe this isn't what I want. And having kind of two entities pulling him in directions, trying to kind of guide him. It brought me to a movie that I really love and I think is underrated. Um, almost Famous. Uh, William. Wow. Yeah. I've never seen that. Yeah, it's really good. Definitely so, a palate cleanser after Platoon. Yeah. <laughs> but, so, but essentially, he wants to, he wants, you know, young kid, lies about his age to travel with a rock band and... You know, different forces pulling him in different directions of where he ends up. Thought it was a apt connection. Cool. All right. Excellent. I haven't seen it. I want to see it. If you want a platoon on steroids with a loaded cast and a jungle-based military movie, I recommend Predator. Wow. Nice. Very nice. Carl Weathers, Arnold, Jesse Ventura has a roll call at the end. Very similar to... Uh, Love it. I like that. Very similar, and then, but you brought it up before, and I was just shaking my head. I'm like, Damn, I was wondering I why you were I, shaking your head. I thought I had this surprise going, <laughs> but that's that's my recommendation. You, you, if you like Platoon, you'll like Predator. And Predator's the next another year. Hid, hidden enemy hiding in the woods. He's invisible. And Predator's the next year, so I got to think they're playing off of it a bit, but unless they film like great, right away, great. Great helicopter great. shot. Oh, and, oh, and talk about needle oh. drops. I've said brought this up so many times. That little Richard needle drop when they're when they're on the helicopter looking oh, at so it's, good. Oh, it's just amazing. Oh, I, probably, yeah. I, can't I love you can never go wrong with Predator. Predator. The cinematography it's, is way underrated in, in Predator. Oh, yeah, way totally underrated. That movie is a film. So I Joey, I also went kind of the palate cleanser route. Uh, if you just sat down and watched Platoon and got got that injected into your life. I liked it. It was great. You know, I need to move on from right. it. But, but I want a little something similar. We're keeping the cast the same for the most part. We're doing the Band of Brothers thing, you know, trying to make the most out of a bad situation and trying to find their ways through. So I went to Major League. Why oh, not? Yes. You know, we have Tom Berenger as the catcher. <laughs> it's a good recommendation. So we have Charlie Sheen Charlie as the Charlie Sheen taking steroids. Yeah. I kind of wish Willem Dafoe was like the third base coach, you know, so <laughs> smiling and waving Come people on. in, you know, like, giant off why didn't they not, or maybe the fan, and the one of the fans, oh and then, come on, how could they not cast him in Major League? But yeah. Oh, I you love know, it. I love it. Wow. It's, Great recommendation. Uh, Great choice. Yeah, yeah, so... I, don't, I think that says it all. So Major League Predator and Almost Famous. If you just watched Platoon, it's and I think That's any three of those watch. are great palate cleansers. Absolutely. I like how we all went that route. Like, we didn't need a darker, right. more depressing movie. Um, well, Apocalypse still, now! I, um, I still went a pretty dark route. I like uh, Requiem for a Dream. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought well, about I mean, anti- I, kept, I kept us in the jungle during yeah, the war. Yeah, but we got yeah, Arnold, uh, you know, uh, or... No, I thought about like Antichrist, but I didn't feel like, you know, recommending Willem Dafoe's dick. <laughs> okay, that's fair. Okay, so this is not a Who Should Have Won podcast, but we always talk about the other Best Picture nominees. And we're going to talk about the 1986 nominees. Here they are, and we're going to start with, and I always try to watch one of these, or, or at least these days I'm trying to. And last time we were in the 80s, Artie, you were here for Amadeus. I just, I just passed. <laughs> like, you know what? I got too much shit going to the Why waste your time? But this week, I was like, all right, I got to commit to it. So I did a Twitter poll. Which was cool. On the uh, BPC account. Again, at Best Picture Cast. We're on Twitter. We're on Instagram. 
We're on Facebook, but on Twitter is probably where we do our most interactivity. And we had a great turnout for the vote. I basically was just like, listen, I hate 80s nominees because I do. I think they stink in general. And I think there's like the 80s was like a real kind of innovative time for film where you had movies like Ghostbusters and movies like Terminator that came out that didn't necessarily get the respect that they deserved. And you get movies like this year's. So we put it out there. I said, what should I watch? It was a tight vote to the end and this one it was a room with a view which had an early lead and then it, it was tied there up to the nth hour but room with the view won and uh the synopsis was lucy meets george in a florence pension <laughs> look at that one pension pension all right tough guy laughing away what the fuck word is that pension say it say it Lucy meets George in a Florence pension and two share and the two share a brief romance before Lucy returns home, where she becomes engaged to Cecil. However, it isn't long before George unexpectedly enters her life again. It's directed by James Ivory, uh, who directed Howard's End. And uh, listen, thank you everyone who recommended this movie to me. Uh, <laughs> But don't don't vote anymore. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, oh, no. I see, like, I see the merits in it. Like, listen, it's it's Helena Bonham Carter's film debut, and she's fucking incredible. Like, she's twenty years old and like just crushes it. It's hard <laughs> to imagine that she that it's her debut. It's clear that she's going to be a star. Um, the other thing is is it's watching Daniel Day Lewis in this is like watching a skinny Barry Bonds on the Pirates. Like he's like. I mean, it's so it clear. Coming, yeah. It's so clear yeah. he's a mega star. The cast is great. You got Maggie Smith, who is um, the Harry Potter heads out there know her. She's like the bitchy nun in in um, in uh, <laughs> Sister Act. Sister Act. Yeah, that's what I know her from. Academy Award winner. You know, Judy Dench. I mean, come on. We have we have a. It's it's kind of like a like a nineteen eighty six British World Cup team of acting. You know, they just like all the stars are there. And yeah, it was just very tough to settle into, you know. And I think if Chris G were forced to watch it, he probably would gouge, <laughs> gouge his eyes out. I would think. Uh, but yeah, so that that is what it is from there. Room with a view. If you like those British period pieces, it's. Did you enjoy the movie overall? I enjoyed the acting performances within the movie. The, the narrative itself wasn't for me. wasn't for me. I appreciate everyone who liked it. I wouldn't recommend it to the average viewer myself. It's British actors just in a Being great British. cast. Yeah, and, and it's strutting you know, about. The story wasn't for me personally, but that's it. Joey, what's next? Next, we have Children of a Lesser God. A new speech teacher at a school for the deaf falls in love with the janitor, a deaf woman, speechless by choice. Um, this is starring William Hurt, Marley Matlin. Directed by Randa Haynes. Yes, female director alert. Yeah. Sounds good. Children of Lesser God, you know, William Hurt. William Hurt, yeah, Marley Matlin. Incredible actor. Um, yeah. yeah, I haven't seen it. Oh. So next, this was the runner-up in the poll. <laughs> it is a Woody Allen joint, and it's Hannah and her sisters. Their dad marries all of them. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> we do have an Annie Hall episode coming up. It will be in season two. Uh, he is one of many interesting characters that we've had to cover. We had the Kevin Spacey escapades. And, uh, yeah, we're going to deal, uh, deal with Woody Allen, and we're dealing with him right now. It's uh, directed, written, and starring Woody Allen. 
Hannah and her sisters between two Thanksgivings two years apart. We got a Thanksgiving movie here. Hell. Always love those. Between two Thanksgivings two years apart, Hannah's husband falls in love with her sister, Lee, while her hypochondriac ex-husband rekindles his relationship with her sister, Holly. I'm guessing that Woody Allen is playing aggressive information for a movie. (laughs) I'm guessing Woody Allen's playing the hypochondriac. hypochondriac? Michael Caine wins his first Oscar for this one. Wow. All right. Oh, um, very pro Michael Caine, so. Michael Caine. I failed you. <laughs> I failed you. <laughs> Rachel. Great cast again. We have Carrie Fisher. We have Mia Farrow, Diana Weist, Max von Sydow, Woody Allen himself, Julie Louis Dreyfus, Elaine, John Totoro. It's a great cast. That's you know, a great cast. It's, it's, I kind of wish that won because it just seems like it sounds way more interesting. Yeah, that's Hannah and her sisters. So we have next. We have the mission. The mission. Now the mission received zero votes until like like three hours left of voting, and then I think someone the pity vote out there. Yeah. yeah, So the mission. The mission. Eighteenth century Spanish Jesuits try to protect a remote South South American tribe. In danger of falling under the rule of pro-slavery Portugal. Hey, we have Liam Neeson. We have oh, Liam Robert Neeson De Niro. Oh. Yeah. We <laughs> have, I, know why I thought this was like a foreign film. We have Jeremy Irons. Hello. Oh, wow. This is not yeah. like no, a... this is... Got, it really got no support from oh, the Twitterverse. So there's there's that. Um, other movies this year. Let's talk about oh, my God. 1986 here. First of all, I want to start with... We talked about Tom Cruise for a little bit. The Color of Money, Marty Scorsese. Paul Newman wins Best Actor this year for that portrayal. Tom Cruise wears a shirt with his character's name on the shirt the whole movie. Come on. That's awesome. It's, it's, it's legendary. Aliens? Yeah. Top Aliens? Gun? We don't, you know, the other Tom Top Cruise. Top Gun, Stand By Me. Lucas. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Uh, Little Shop of Horrors? Yeah, which is a really funny movie. Uh, Blue Velvet. Blue Velvet, and he gets a uh, Lynch gets a director yeah. nominee here. Uh, Rad, for I the, don't know Rad. All right, with the Rad, the, my cousin loves that movie. Stop right, with me that. Me and your cousin are teaming up to bully you into it. Nonsense I gotta give a, movie. I gotta give a Brendan, I gotta give a Brendan B. Grant C. Shout out here. Uh, Star Trek for the Voyage Home is nominated for sound effects editing. So um, we have the, the Karate the Kids get a little love. What is it? The Karate Kid Part Karate 2. Karate Kid 2. Uh, go Karate to Okinawa. Two. And oh. this is the most bizarre nominee of the year. Nominated for screenplay. Crocodile Dundee is nominated for screenplay this wow. year. Wow. I feel like That's I know that a rewatch. But... Hoosiers was that year. Uh, and Hoosiers, yeah. Wow. Dennis Hopper gets the nominee. And I've heard, I heard a, someone kind of say that like he's really nominated for his role in Blue Velvet. But it's so dark that they didn't want to award it. Apparently, he plays like as dark as it gets as far as acting goes. I haven't seen Blue Velvet myself. I'm not the biggest Lynch fan. But apparently, it was like they it was so dark they didn't want to nominate it, so they threw Hoosiers out there and gave them the nomination. Oh, for really? That. But okay. Before we go, original song. We did this a couple times this season. I, I want to do it again. Start from like kind of fifth place, moving up. Life in a Looking Glass from That's Life. Don't know that one, so that's that. That one's quickly dismissed. The Little Shop of Horrors th- song, Mean Green Mother from Outer Space, whether you know it or not, written by the great Alan Menken, who single-handedly revived the Disney animated movies, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, Straight Through. Oh, wow. 
So you got to give give love there. He he would get rewarded in, in upcoming years. An American Tale, somewhere out there. Oh yeah, performed by Linda Rodstand. Absolutely incredible song, written by James Horner, who does the score of next week's episode, Braveheart, and wrote the song from Titanic, which would be one of the highest selling oh, singles of all time. Damn. My heart will go on. So he he also would get rewarded in future years. They never quite rewarded Peter Cetera, though, oh. from The Karate Kid 2, Joey. Devastating. The Glory of Love. One of the top singles of the year, though. Great song. So, yeah, great song. Had, great scene in Okinawa. Just They really just botched it. Had some Going My Way vibes where it almost had the Oscar and the uh, top song of the year. But, uh, yeah, The Glory of Love. Love that one. Great Newfound Glory cover, that one, too. Great Newfound Glory cover. Really good. Uh, and the winner from Top Gun, Take My Breath Away. 100%. And also uh, has a great oh. appearance has a great appearance in uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia in the Dennis System, which is one of their best episodes. Oh my god, that's a great episode. And we didn't bring, I didn't get to bring this up, but like Ra in Platoon yeah. had such Mac vibes throughout the whole movie, like with the bandana and like the Just cut-off the shirts. Knife necklace? I feel like Mac bases wow, character on Ra. what a recast that would have been. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it would have... But not Ma- Rob McElhenney, Mac... That character. So that's all, guys. Hey, it's been a year. Absolutely. We're here. Cheers to one year. Cheers. We have hopefully many years ahead. And uh, Artie, closing thoughts. I like the movie a lot. Great directing. Charlie Sheen was a little weak for me. Aside from that, I I, I really like the movie. It was was no doubt a a blast to talk about with you guys one way or another, though. There's no doubt about that. Joey. Yeah. um, Love the movie. Really loved watching it with you guys. Um, just a fun experience to watch it together before talking about it. And thank you for listening for the past year. We appreciate it. We're not talking to it a void. Yeah, thanks, guys. No doubt. Guys. Thank you, Rihanna. Thank you for all your work. <laughs> Nate, top of top <laughs> Rihanna's songs Z- right now. Thank you, Rob Zombie. <laughs> thank you, Rob Zombie. For thank work. you for all your work, guys. Hosts of episode one and two. I, I sometimes feel like uh, you're the... I'm I'm the child of both of your uh, <laughs> of your episodes here as I, I record these, but thank you everyone for listening. Follow us on Twitter at Best Picture Cast, other social medias, and next week it's Braveheart, an all female panel. Very exciting, should be good. We'll see you next week. Thank you. So take-